This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we have a special episode. We're kind of going over a lot of quickies, DM, and also Sundance. The film festival, that is. Yes. <laughs> it sounds like you just left it hanging. <laughs> I had nothing no. else to follow. <laughs> We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! Out Now is a film podcast which has Abe and I normally discussing new movies weekly. However, every now and then we have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentaries or something completely different. And this is something completely different. We There's not much that came out this weekend. It is to date this podcast. It is uh, today, we're, as we're recording, it's Super Bowl Sunday generally means not much opens at the box office. Sometimes that's proof otherwise. Spoiler this week alert. Had, Next yeah. week kind of dry too. Yep. <laughs> we'll get we'll get we'll get to that. <laughs> but um yeah the only thing that opened this week was Winchester, mm. which I did see and we'll talk about later on, but we didn't feel like we wanted to do a whole show focused on Winchester. So we focused we figured why not uh, talk about the Sundance Film Festival. And of course Abe and I, neither of us were at the Sundance Film Festival, so we got a guest in who, who very much was. We have here today with us from Slash Film and the Go Flix Yourself podcast, leader of the Assassination Nation, it's Brad Oman. Oh, hey, that's me. How you doing, Brad? Not too bad. How about you guys? What is the Assassination Nation? Is that we'll something that, that you can talk about? Okay. We'll get to that. So oh, it's okay, it's a part, right. of the, part of the Sundance discussion. Right. It is. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, good to, good to have you back, Brad. Always, had, always good to have you on the podcast with us. I'm always glad to be here. So yeah, the idea for the the main kind of segment for this week's show is going to be basically Abe and I talking with Brad about his experience at Sundance this year, what movies he liked, dislike, what have you, because yeah, that's always fun. We've been doing that. We've been doing that pretty much every year, Abe. I think we, pretty we, much, we, yeah. We generally get guests on that have attended Sundance, so we can kind of go over that as well. Because we, well, we don't get to go. Uh, it, it's you know, well, you know, I mean, they 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 never send us any invites, and we're all so busy, so. <laughs> especially, especially the busy. Part. It's it's mutually, you know, it's mutually understandable. <laughs> but certainly, you know, it's a notable film event in the year, and so it's cool to kind of get some, you know, context on what happened. Yeah. Uh, but before we get under that, we have other stuff we want to get into. First, let's do some show notes real quick. Um, not much this week, but I will point out that the Oscars are just literally a month away. Actually. Around the Riverbend. Okay. Yeah, just yeah, they're just around the Riverbend. Um, they are they are a month away. Um, we will be doing some special shows in honor of the Oscars, oh, a, sure. prediction, a prediction show, as well as what we normally do—a show that immediately follows the Oscars, where we record what we, you know, what our predictions were, what happened at the event, and what have you. That's always a lot of fun to do. Mark Homan's generally with us for that. Hopefully, I don't forget to invite him like I did with the top ten shows. So. Probably gonna happen again. <laughs> we'll make sure it all works out. Um, but yeah. Uh, what else? iTunes reviews and ratings, good to get those. Helps out the show, helps other people find the show. If you want to log into iTunes, search right now, Aaron and Abe, that'd be great. You can give us a star rating and even a written review. Hugs in advance. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah. And um, with that, let's uh, we're going to move immediately into trailer talk. We're discuss some of, the newest, some of the newest movie trailers of the week, what we thought of it, what have you. And this week, we have the first trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp. This is the, uh, the follow-up to Ant-Man, the... Uh, what 2015 uh, Marvel Avenger with uh, with Paul Rudd? Mm-hmm. Um, this time you have everybody returning, including director Peyton Reed, um, out of the shadow of the whole director switch up between Edgar Wright and him, and you, know, you got to starting fresh this time around. 
uh, once again, Paul Rudd's back and Evangeline Lilly and Mike and Michael Douglas. But this time you're adding um, two people here. You're adding Lawrence Fishburne um, and Michelle Pfeiffer. And plot wise, it's a little vague. It seems like the whole the Ant-Man crew is on the run based off things that happened at the end of Civil War and possibly Infinity War. We'll find out. But uh, Brad, what would you think of the trailer? Uh, I think it's a great trailer. I mean, I will say that I think that I'm my biggest concern is that they're getting a little too reckless with the uh, the shrinking powers. <laughs> um, there's a lot of shrinking happening here, but I kind of like the idea of like the team uh, having to go mobile, which was for what seems like the entire movie. It seems like they're on the run because of uh, Paul Rudd's actions in Captain America: Civil War by becoming Giant Man and fighting alongside the Avengers, forcing uh, Hank Pym and Hope Van Dyne to go on the run. Um, but at the same time, it's it's hard to tell uh, what the story is going to be because this is just a teaser trailer that mostly shows off action and gives us a very tiny hint of uh, part of the story. Because we see the villain, who is supposed to be Ghost, um, but we don't really know what they're up to or what the threat is this time other than uh, you know Ant-Man and the team being chased. But... You know, it looks like a fun Marvel movie. It looks like they're keeping Ant-Man kind of isolated in their own uh, universe again a little bit. Uh, the stakes aren't quite as high as uh, other Marvel movies, which was what was refreshing about the first Ant-Man. Um, but yeah, again, you know, the I, I just hope that they're not going to start overdoing the look at all the stuff that we can shrink and grow and that kind of thing. Uh, the, specifically, shrinking that entire PIM Technologies building just... <laughs> just seems like a problem to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ian, how about you? You're not the only one there, Brad. I, mean, I, I looked at that whole entire shrinking of the building, and I was like, wait a minute, there's a lot of logistics that probably have to go into shrinking a building of this size. You know, make sure that everybody's out, but also, I don't see a lot of water that's just, like, bursting out whenever he just, like, shrinks it down. But uh, I, I'm, I very much Don't agree you think this. Hank Pym would have thought of this before he decided I, to shrink an entire building? I'm hoping, I'm hoping. He lost his wife to shrinking. <laughs> Don't you think he's well, probably a little more sub- concerned? Subatomic shrinking. <laughs> so you know she did it to herself. <laughs> but um, terrible. Yeah, yeah terrible. <laughs> but uh, what should we call it? I, I think that it's a, it's an actual too. I pretty much agree with Brad. It, it, much like the first one, I thought it was it was okay. Like, it wasn't. It was a pretty good standalone, but it wasn't remarkable in a way that was like, oh wow, this is gonna be. Um, I, I am so blown away by Corey Stoll's, I don't know, uh, wasp guy that uh, I, I need to see more of this kind of thing. It was funny and it was quick moving and it felt lighter than what the other ones, than the other Marvel movies have felt. Um, this one kind of feels the same way. I mean, it seems like it's got some of the same jokes, but uh, at the same time, yeah, I'm curious to see how the progression of uh, America, Captain America Civil War has has uh, spurred this whole entire plot. And I was okay with it, and then I just laughed out loud at the end of the, the teaser trailer because they, they had this uh, Pez joke. And I was like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot that they could do stuff like that, too. I mean, you saw them going micro and pushing cars off the road, which I also found a little bit troublesome just from a, just from a uh, uh, I guess, car damage perspective. <laughs> I was like, wouldn't their car also be damaged in this situation? But, hey, I'm going to let the movie play out, and... Tell me where I need to go. I, uh, I, I, I like the trailer. It's a fun trailer. <laughs> um, it gets across the same kind of tone that you expect from an Ant-Man movie, it would seem. Um, I was very intrigued by the use of the, haunt and man- the Haunted Mansion theme as like the music. <laughs> uh, 
that that threw me a bit. It's like, oh, okay, like that's it's not a slowed down pop song or something that you know makes me feel depressed for some reason. So that's a nice touch, I guess. I uh, just didn't see the haunted mansion clearly as like a, the the way in. Um, yeah, not much to add beyond what you guys have said. I I feel like I'm less concerned with the powers of shrinking more because well, I'm in an Ant Man movie. I'm just happy seeing things getting bigger and smaller. I guess I guess that's what we're doing in these movies. But um, uh, yeah, no, not, not much else to say. I mean, he's got he's got the whole cast back. It should be like a kind of a looser. Ti is back experience. too. What? Yes, yeah, he's back. Okay, all right. You, you can't make an Ant Man. <laughs> I wasn't sure because you know he, he's a computer hacker, but I wasn't sure if he was going to be back. Is he a computer hacker? Is that <laughs> he what he's not doing? really. He just knows how to like program a little. I, there's bit. like there's like one guy that's useful, and then there's like Michael Pena who talks, and Ti who, you know, he's around. Well, you I see, you see, Michael Pena's dro- got a cousin that knows how to get to wherever they need to do in the first movie. I forget his story. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, they, you know, it, look, it looks fun. Uh, as far it, coming off of Infinity War, which I'm sure will be like devastating or whatever they want to do with it, I, I'm sure this will be like, oh, this is a nice refresher. Uh, the same way we're like, what Spider-Man: Homecoming last year is like, well, this is fun compared to kind of the drama that was going on with everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the last one, well, Guardians, I guess they had things going on, but uh, but Ant-Man: The Wasp: Horizon Theater is uh, July 6th, perfect uh, this, this summer. Yeah. So there you go. All right, let's um. Okay, there's one other there's one other I guess pseudo trailer that we want to talk about because <laughs> um, I found this to be kind of fascinating and there was a lot of speculation about what it is. It is um, Dundee, the son of a legend returns home. So this is I'll put put this right, uh, right up top. This is not an actual movie. That's the, how dare you? This, um, this kind of, actually, uh, Brad, do you want to go over kind of the what happened here as far as like how these things were dropped and how it kind of caused confusion. Yeah. So the, the beginning of this actually happened like in the middle of Sundance. And so I, I had to play a little bit of catch up once I was back home, but all of a sudden out of nowhere, there came this teaser trailer for a movie called Dundee that apparently was starring Danny McBride as the son of crocodile Dundee, who, <laughs> who has been living in America this whole time. Crocodile Dundee didn't know that he had an, an American son, but he's called back to Australia because crocodile Dundee is missing and apparently they need his help to try and f- to find him. So it's like a Force Awakens Crocodile Dundee, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> um, so they they started with a teaser trailer that like introduced Danny McBride as his son, where he literally looks at the camera and he goes, Good day, losers, with no Australian <laughs> accent whatsoever. Um, and then as they released more clips, it showed that Chris Hemsworth was part of this, and then Hugh Jackman. But then we learned, uh, as some people suspected, that this was uh, a big Super Bowl gimmick, and it's not for a real movie, but rather a, an elaborate fake movie created as an effort to promote Australian tourism, hmm. which if you go back and you look at the trailers, you can see that uh, they're going out of their way to show how gorgeous Australia is, because it's it's shot in a very majestic yeah. fashion. It really shows off the, la- the Australian landscapes and everything. Um, but th- since then, they uh, released a, a full trailer, if you will, showing off the full cast, which also includes Margot Robbie and Isla Fisher and Russell Crowe and uh, a bunch of other uh, famous Australian actors and actresses. So that was a two-minute trailer with featuring all those famous faces. Um, not really any hint at, like, that there was a real story here, just, just threads that maybe could make up a whole movie. So we'll see 
what this turns out to be. I don't know if the whole two-minute trailer that was released is all that will be during the Super Bowl or if there's something longer that they made that will debut online after you know they play something else during the game. But in a way, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that this isn't a real movie because, <laughs> A, I thought it would have been really cool if they were able to keep a project like this completely under wraps and surprise everybody with it. Like the Cloverfield of Dundee, yeah. Crocodile Dundee movies. <laughs> And now I just want to see Danny McBride in a Crocodile Dundee movie <laughs> with all these people. I mean, it's it's a great cast, and it, it would be really fun if they all came together and made this movie. I like how they got Liam Hemsworth, but they couldn't afford the, the, the second best Hemsworth, Luke, of course. Like, they, <laughs> the <laughs> oldest brother? Yeah. They, they couldn't fit him in. <laughs> but no, it is, there is... Yeah, there is a kind of a funny novelty to the idea of them making a, a Dundee like parody with Danny McBride, and... Yeah, I, the the kind of the fact that it came out of nowhere certainly had my suspicions up as far as the validity of a project like this. But at the same time, I agree with you. There would be something entertaining about the idea of a Dundee follow up that had Danny McBride of all people starring in it, and like him and Chris Hemsworth seem to Hemsworth seems to have like chemistry of everybody. So it seems like there was like an instant <laughs> bond there. So it's like okay, well, I guess that's not a thing. That said, given that it is today is the Super Bowl, I wouldn't be surprised if there. Yeah, because they're. That whole trailer still doesn't promote the fact that it is about Australian tourism. You just have to kind of search around to actually find that. So I'd imagine there has to be like at least one more thing to emphasize the fact that it's about Australian tourism, like some kind of capper on this whole thing. That my guess. I would imagine that there there is going to be a capper, right? It's going to be like you know, it's like Chris because Chris Hemsworth is is the ambassador to Australia or something like that. He's he's made a lot of. Uh, commercials as well. I was also really highly disappointed. I, I think that I knew what you I was... You texted IMDb. me. Yeah, but <laughs> that, that was like after the, the full trailer was released. Uh, there was a whole bunch of like teasers. I was like, wait a minute, is this a real thing? Because I think I was reading up on either Slash Film or some other thing where who had posted the, the teaser trailer. I was like, this looks well done. looks well shot. Looks It feels like something that Danny McBride would do. Uh, maybe it's real. So IMDb it and it's not there. And I was like, is this a secret project that nobody knows about? So again, highly disappointed. But at the same time, uh, I, I if if the let me ask you guys this: if the reaction is so strong, do you think they'd be like, yeah, no, let let's go ahead, let's do this then? No, I think it'll okay. just be more commercials. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I mean, it would be it would be awesome if they used this as like a jumping off point to be like, you know what? Yeah, let's let's make this movie. Yeah. But like, because we, we're talking about this, and, like, you talk about how well shot Australia is, and because of his colla- Danny McBride's collaborations with, like, David Gordon Green and Jody Hill, mm-hmm. that's not unfamiliar to me. Like, they, they're, like, you know, as funny and ridiculous as, like, Eastbound and Down or even Vice Principals are, they are well shot shows. Like, those are guys that know what they're doing behind the camera, so it's like, it could have been. Like, so it's like, David Gordon Green's all over the place on his filmography. That could have easily been something he's like, yeah, let's just make a secret Dundee movie. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be surprised if they're like the directors behind those commercials or whatnot. I'm not sure exactly. I gotta look that up. But still, yeah, it's uh, regardless. Well, yeah, you no, got I don't, us. I, I don't see us. that coming as far as like an actual thing beyond just more advertising or what have you. But uh, yeah, when when the Hugh Jackman one popped up, especially, it's like okay, <laughs> this, this can't be for real. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you know, he's the prime minister. It could have worked. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, th- I think the, the the thing that really threw me was and not that it threw me, but it was really a dead giveaway. It was like, okay, well, this Russell Crowe bad guy thing is really heavy. This cannot be real. So, anyway, good job, guys. Good job, Australia. You tricked us once, but you won't trick us twice. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh yeah. Um, well, that's not a trailer. That's yeah, like Dundee doesn't have a release date, so you, know, you can't say when it's going to be released. Well, I guess, <laughs> I guess it'd be today. Expect more today on the podcast that arrives two days after you would have seen it. There you go. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, let's um, let's move on now. That was trailer talk. Let's get to some out quickies. TM. Each week now now we movie the five hours of the trailer. Okay, quickies. TM. I had it. That was good. I got, I got it in there. Yes. <laughs> um. So we're gonna get to a lot of quickies here. Yes. Um. Yeah. Number of things that I know I've seen, and I'm sure that. Abe and Brad have as well. But before we get to all that, we have one special quickie that requires a special cameo appearance. Um, the lovely Anna Bosch is now going to join us. Hello. And uh, so I'm bringing her in here now because we uh, watched the Oscar-nominated short films last night. Huh. Uh, so these are, of course, the, the films that are up for Oscars and the animated and live-action sec- sections. We didn't watch the documentaries yet because they'll be long and depressing. Yeah, if so much if I'm wrong, these these are the full feature length movies just edited down to short length, right? <laughs> That's exactly correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, they, it don't call the them, they don't call them shorts for a reason. <laughs> it's because everyone wears shorts. It's a requirement of short films. So. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what they joked about us for shorts programming. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that we should all have shorts. <laughs> well, Anna, how are you doing today? Um, I'm doing better. So I would say it's a really nice Sunday, ready for Super Bowl. All right. Boom. <laughs> okay. Well, we did watch the short films. Yes, last night. we did. You had me sit there and watch all these films. <laughs> Every time you're on, you make it feel like I've made some kind of chore. <laughs> Out of something that we both want to do. Well, no, because I do enjoy the shorts, watching the shorts with you. Well, let's start with let's start with the animated shorts. We have okay. five, we have five Oscar nominated shorts here in the animated section, um, and so let's go over it. What did we, what did we watch first? So we watched Dear Basketball, Kobe Bryant film, mm-hmm. and I think this out of the five is now my most favorite, mm. and it's basically a what would you say? It's a poem. It's a poem. It's yeah, a it's, poem it's, that it's Kobe wrote. It's a an ode to basketball, his love for basketball. And I think it was mentioned somewhere that it was like his speech. I'm about to sneeze, I think. So. <laughs> well, it, it was like for, his he'd written it for, for the Players Tribune uh, in his last season. And yeah. Then, and then uh, now that he's retired, they, they kind of just animated it uh, during his retirement ceremony. Or, I'm sorry, during his uh, Jersey retirement ceremony, his, yeah. his number right. retirement ceremony. So it played yeah, before that. that. It's, so, like, it has stunning animation, and we talked about the score, because Aaron, when we're watching it, he's like, oh, John Williams got to do the score yeah. for this. But, no, the score is, is really great, and the animation, too, but I think what it got me, too, is, like, as a poet, too, like, the beginning of it, where it says, like, I started to roll my dad's tube socks, I think that was, like, what captured me to get, like, pulled into it, and I was like, oh, I want more of this. I can't, like... It's like Kobe reaching into his soul to talk about this. It's really neat. No, it's like from the moment I started rolling my dad's tube socks. I'm going to read it. Is that okay? The whole poem? It's not that long. Okay. (laughs) I'm not going to read it. But just like that beginning, it's great, though. Like, the animation, like I said... Yeah. yeah, you have a lot of, I mean, like you mentioned, John Williams does the music. Glenn Keane, who's a huge Disney animator, like, you know, he's, he's responsible for, like, the a lot of the work behind it. Like, it's just, there's a lot of effort put into this that I was, I guess, not necessarily surprised by because it's us for an Oscar. Like, clearly, you know, Kobe did something right, but it's like, he got a lot of, you know, high talent involved in his short. So, you know, good on him. Good on Oscar nominee Kobe Bryant for that one, for sure. <laughs> 
Can this guy uh, stop winning? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next one I'll talk about because I really like this one. It's called Garden Party. Um, it has this kind of... Um, it's set in the backyard of a mansion. And there are a bunch of... Basically, there are a bunch of frogs invading this backyard for some reason. And what I liked about this one is that you have this... You have a mix of, like, frogs that are, like, going after, like, random food on the ground or, like, bugs and butterflies in the air and stuff. They're, like, just running around. And it has this kind of realistic look to it. Like, it's very much trying to be, like, a... Right, the animation of the frogs, they look real. Yeah, it's, it's very much trying to look photoreal. The way it's presented to you... I'm not going to go completely into what happens, but there is... I'm going to make a reference here. Breaking Bad Season 2. Mm-hmm. Um that's the season. So that's the season where, like, every, the beginning of every episode, you get kind of ominous shots of like a pool or like a teddy, the teddy oh, bear yeah, thing yeah. Okay. or whatnot. And you just you don't quite know what that is, but it's going to connect to something bigger. And that's what this does. It's like you get these frogs, and then every so often it cuts to like a shot of like the the mansion and like what's gone on, and, and clearly something bad happened there, but you don't quite know what. And so I just I found it really interesting. <laughs> like it's it looks great, and it's neat to see this kind of the frog animation. As well as like it's t- it's slowly unfolding a story in a kind of an untraditional way. Hmm, so that's okay. called I like that one quite a bit. Then there was Lou. Yeah, there's and Lou. And Lou's the one that most people probably saw before Cars Three, right? Yes. And so it deals with like a child who bullies other school children on the playground, and then he ends up seeing um, this little creature that makes himself out of like the lost toys in the box, and it's a lost and found box, and he triggers his memory by seeing a little teddy bear he used to have, which he was also bullied from. So then he kind of like encourages him to go and like make nice with everyone else and give them back their toys. And it's great animation as well. I told like when we saw the Cars 3, like that was like my favorite like short film till I saw the other ones. <laughs> until, until you until you brought that back up, I was like, I totally forgot that there was there was an animated short before Cars 3. Yeah, because you loved Army Hammer's character in Cars Three so much, you're just like, I don't. I know, yeah. I was just like, wow, this guy's really good at dancing and speaking Italian and French in Cars Three. It's really wild. But it's really sweet storytelling. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, it's it's a it's a Pixar show. I I, I remember it hits all the buttons. It's colorful. It makes you feel good. You get a pretty clever title as well. Uh, Yeah, it's it's got its cleverness. Like it's all there. They got negative spaces. Yeah, negative space. Or negative space. Yeah. This one is it. it's a <laughs> it's it's a stop motion animation, mm-hmm. um, which is you know always neat to see. Um, it focuses on try not to like spoil all these too heavily, but it's well, focused... it's more like a relationship with the father and son. Yeah, to go and it kind of it relates it to you through how the father taught his son how to properly pack things in his mm-hmm. luggage and whatnot. Hmm. So it's kind of a you know a quirky angle to present a relationship between like how, how they connected by. Making sure that there, the amount of room you have in your luggage is occupied with as much of your belongings as possible. Make it efficient. Efficiency. And within that, there is a story about how the the father and, and the mother separate, and there's some loss going on. Like it, it tells a you know it tells a downer story essentially. But <laughs> it's yeah. great though. I like this one too. Like it also because being stop motion it took years to be made. And because of that, like, it's interesting how all these films are using different types of animation, right? Like, the their basketball, like, sketch mm-hmm. one, with the interpretation, and then talk about photorealism. Realism. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh, I can't talk that way. <laughs> the photoreal, um, the garden party, 
a native space has the stop motion and what's neat too is because it has like the clothing when he's like holding it or it's holding itself it like shows the wrinkles and the creases like in the belt it's very detailed but i think it's really great to just dive in more we don't do that i know but like it has it's basically just telling like reminding you of like what is one memory from your childhood that, like, sticks out to you? Hmm. And for this story, it's, like Aaron said, the packing. And, like, what that symbolizes for that individual. Yeah, that, so that one sounds of, sad already. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. It, it... I was like, I don't like, know where you're going with this, but I think I know, and I don't like it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because but, it reminds me of a friend. So if it is the same thing, it's like, this is not one I'd recommend to my friend. <laughs> right. Well, because even in the movie, it does, like, reference, like, we all have different memories that we connect with. <laughs> like, you know, a father throwing a baseball to their son, like, that could be someone else's memory. And for him, it's the packing. But it's also, it is a downer where it's... Rolling your dad's tube socks. <laughs> <laughs> so, another yeah. good one, though. Yeah. Uh, the last one, this is the long, so all these ones that we mentioned so far are all like six minutes, seven minutes. Five this, minutes. yeah, this one is the long, there's always like one long one in all these, and this one's like a half an hour, and it's only part one. There's apparently two parts to this one, yes. um, but the first part was nominated. This that, makes it a, that makes it a whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's called, it's called uh, Revolting Rhymes Part One. Um, it's inspired by a Roald Dahl book, apparently, which mm-hmm. I was not aware of until Anna pointed it out to me later on. And it's basically, it, it's, um, it's taking classic uh, like grim fairy tales and fairy tales in general and kind of putting them all into one. But with different conclusions. With different conclusions and kind of some dark, some, some twists there here and there and some darker ramifications in some cases. But it takes things like Snow White and um, uh, Little, Little Red, Red Riding, Riding Hood, Hood and, and the Three, Three Little, Little Pigs. And it puts it into this kind of, I guess you'd call it like a melodrama. That'd be the best way to put it as far as how these characters interact and what have you. And, the uh, big bad wolf is the narrator. Yes, and he's voiced by James Purefoy. No, no, Dominic West. It was yes, Dominic. Do- Dominic West. West. I confuse them sometimes. <laughs> One has a mole. That's the, that's the separation. <laughs> One's McNulty and the other has a mole. Um, yeah, McNulty narrates the. You know, yeah, that's the go-to character. Then <laughs> the go-to character. Hey, we have Carcetti last week with the Maze Runner. Now we got McNulty. <laughs> so it's okay. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really say that. Oh yeah, you know, it's from. Uh, uh, what do we call it? John Carter's <laughs> McNulty. Yeah, no, it, it always comes down to the wire. It's just right. easiest that way. <laughs> but um, no, it it has its moments of cleverness, and it it takes some turns that I guess I probably should see coming, given that like of the bad things that happen to certain characters throughout. But I'm still like, oh, okay, that's more violent than I expected. So it's kind of that <laughs> <laughs> that, that angle to it. Um, but yeah, it's good too. It's not my favorite one of these. Um, but it's you know it's a, it's a it's a neat watch and actually I am curious to see part two now given that there's a part one so it's part one it it didn't label that in the initial when I was watching it I only found that out kind of after the fact mm-hmm. so I was like oh okay because it ends in a way where it could just be this downer ending but I guess it's a, instead it's like a cliffhanger right so it continues yeah I agree too like they, it's fine I would put this on like the it's five films it would be the fifth one on mm-hmm. a number of, like list mm-hmm. of these well, that's the animated shorts let's mm-hmm. so let's get to the live action ones um there's of course you know five more shorts these were all live action and interesting enough these ones were all i mean sometimes they are based on real life stories but a majority are yeah like, I, wait one, two, yeah 
three out of the five. The three out of the five, and one's obviously it's it's, it's going like, it's going over a real life stru- you know right. issue, and the and one's just a, and one's just a straight up comedy. Um, so it's it's one thing, given that I more or less expect the live action shorts to be depressing, it is always nice to get like one comedy in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said. Compared to a couple previous years, I was saying this to Anna last night, The sh- I, I liked all of the live-action shorts. Um, there's usually, like, one that kind of sticks out. I was like, yeah, that wasn't that great. But I generally, you know, I like some more than others, but I generally liked all of these shorts. Um, the first one, which might be my favorite, is called uh, Deck Lab Elementary. Hmm. And it's about, basically, a it's about an elementary school, and a random man enters, and he pulls out a gun. And... I don't like where this that, is going already. That's exactly what I said when it happened. I'm like, that's not good. But it's really great how it plays out. Yes, it takes it takes a turn they don't want to entirely get into, but it okay. take it. It's the way the situation is handled, specifically mm-hmm. by the kind of reception, uh, per, the person the at the front, per, yeah, the person at the front and the desk shooter. and the shooter. There's kind of a a dialogue that happens between them as well as the uh, like dispatcher. A, dispatcher on the the 911 dispatcher on the phone mm-hmm. that I found to be quite affecting. Okay. Um, as far as how things proceed and what choices it makes to keep the tension very much there, but still subvert certain expectations. Got it. So that one won the Oscar. Okay. I mean, no, okay. we'll see. <laughs> you, can point, you can point to a lot of these given the kind of messaging or what have you. There, like Aaron said, there's a slate up here that's like they're all really good. Like if we like they're kind of like in a way of being rewatchable, whereas like in past years, I think last year there was like two films I wasn't like really thrilled about and I was like, oh <laughs> why are these even in here? Yeah, like but my... no, I agree with this mm-hmm. one too. It's it's one of my favorites as well. And the next one's my nephew Emmett, based on those of you that know, um in history, Emmett Till, who was murdered because he whistled at a white woman at a grocery store and is taken from the perspective of his uncle, of like how the situation plays out. Now I like this one but it's not going to be my favorite because I don't feel like the story structure is strong enough. It's strong enough, obviously, to be Oscar nominated. But I feel like there's a point where they take Emmett and they throw him in the trunk or the truck, backseat of the truck. And it seems like that's how it ends because then there's these two lines of like um, that come up on the screen. And it feels like that's the end of the film. And I was talking to Aaron about it last night, whereas, like, I wish that it would have gone a little bit further after that scene. Whereas you get more perspective of, like, the uncle, like, what he does next, perhaps. And then wrap back around showing and being interviewed. And then the live, the actual footage of Emmett's uncle talking about the situation of what happened to his nephew. So... It's it's good, but there's I feel like um, the storyline there is just kind of like it just stops a little. Yeah, it's I I like it too. I do think it has some limits to it, but yeah, it's kind of once I picked up on who, who which Emmett we were talking about because it's very much based off a real person. I was like, oh okay, I so it more or less became a waiting game. Then that's not a bad thing because it's just based off history. It just happens to be the fact that I know who the what the story is, mm-hmm. but there's. I think there's ways to have handled where it goes that may have been more effective beyond just showing, wow, this racism really sucks in Mississippi. Like, it, you know, so it's, you know, there, I think there's more that could have been done, but it's still, I think, a, a quite affecting film. So mm-hmm. it, does its, it does its job. Let's talk about the next one, because this is your yes. favorite. Yes. <laughs> uh, 
11, it was called the 11 o'clock, which is also I was reading. It was actually a play. Okay. And I was just like more intrigued now. I was like, that'd be fun. It, it's a comedy and it's basically based around a, someone who comes in for an appointment at a psych, for a psychiatrist. It's dealing, it's like, dealing with a, it's dealing with a patient who has an okay. issue who and yes. I feel like I don't I don't want to explicitly describe what that is because I think you See, can I know because I don't want to you can figure out kind of where it's going I think if you already know the premise but the idea is that there's a psychiatrist who's dealing with an eccentric patient and it the way can we just talk about it we can talk about it. Uh, people choose to see it <laughs> uh, the what what I think works about it is the kind of the dialogue and the way the characters are presented against each other the psychiatrist and his patient right. And then the only issue we both had, Aaron and I, was that we feel that it reveals too quickly of what's going on, going on which I can't talk about clearly. <laughs> but no, it's very funny. But it is. It's a good one. And I told Aaron, like, out of all of these, I feel like it would be like that year where Stutter won and where it was, like, lighthearted and fun. Yeah, that was a year sweet. a couple years ago where, yeah, the short film called Stutterer that was much lighter and more enjoy, kind of enjoyably sweet than many of the dark, mm-hmm. depressing live-action shorts that went out, uh, much to my surprise. And so for this, the live-action short films, prediction-wise, like an early prediction, I kind of feel like the 11 o'clock would win out of these. We'll see. We'll see. And then the next one's The Silent Child that deals with a child who lives in a, with a family that are all hearing, but she is deaf. And kind of just going on, like, someone coming in trying to help her live in the world of hearing people. Because it's basically an awareness film of, like, those who are deaf um, do not get that much assistance, whether it's in school or even at home. Because if you're a child born in a hearing family, it's hard for the, you know, the parents to kind of, and and the siblings to interact with that child. Without proper care. Right. without, Without you know, putting the effort in to make it all work. And this film, it shows, like, the family's just very busy. Like, they really don't have time to sit down with their child and actually give her the right treatment. So they bring in this other woman that gives her um, or educates her on signing and everything. And the child is actually deaf as well. Hmm. But it's a... It's, a, it's effective as well. It's, a, it's an effective story. I think there's... It might just be, you know, because it's a short film, but there's an element that kind of confuse me as far as what they're trying to explain. I mean, I think I, I can exp- I can understand the essence of what they're going for involving one of the parents, but there's an aspect to it like, wait, what? And that, that kind of threw me. Right, when they're talking with the car. Yeah, it builds a new mystery that I wasn't quite clear on what they're trying to say out of it. So right. it's like, okay, well that I, I get what you're, I get what the overall goal of that is to be, but at the same time, like, well, I kind of want to know more about what that means. Right, uh, so for me, like, this one was, it's kind of there. I probably... Mm, it pushed it down a notch, because I'm like, Maybe well, it would be number four. four is what, I, <laughs> what, I, what I think both of us like about short films, or what everyone likes, but is that it's, you know, telling such a, it's telling a story within such a short amount of time, so you have a, you, you basically have to connect with these characters, understand a story, and wrap it all up within, like, half an hour. And so a lot of these are very effective at doing so, and some sometimes kind of miss some minor marks. And that's right. like what this felt like, where it's like, okay, it it almost got completely there, and then just kind of missed me on one little aspect. But and then ending too, it just I don't think it really wraps everything tightly no. back in. 
uh, the last one is called uh, Watu Watu Watu, uh, which is uh, colon all of us. Well, it means all of us. It's yes. I'm not sure which. <clears throat> it might be Afghanese. It might be something. I'm not sure which. Didn't it say Nairobi in the beginning of the film? Well, it's it's it, well, it deals right. with the the border between Nairobi and Kenya. But it's another real story of um, Christians and Muslims that I don't know what year was it 2015? Yeah. That. They're on a bus together, and then you have these extremist uh, Muslims that take everyone off the bus, and they're going to kill all the Christians. But then it's kind of like a hero stance of everyone can help out one another, where this Christian woman that's on the bus is taken in with the other crowd to hide her from the extremists. It goes over some issues that she has as far as her own family history. Um, as well as just kind of the the tension between the the two, the two the two nations and because of these these terrorists that are making things much more difficult. Um, but no, it's, it's I think it's a well filmed story. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think the again when you have such short amount of time, you kind of have to really go for the emotion with these especially with these dramas, and it works. I think it, I think it does its job. And so uh, no, I think it it's another really solid one. Uh, and it, like I said, in all these shorts I I really liked. So it's. You know, it does its job. Um, so, yeah, that's about it. But I'd go back to the live action, or no, the animated shorts. I would go for Dear Basketball or Lou, and then live action, the 11 o'clock, or even the elementary. Right, as early cool. predictions. Those would definitely change, probably, but thank you. That was fun. All right, well, thank you, Anna, for joining us to talk about the shorts. Yeah, hopefully people get to watch them because, I mean, I've always championed shorts since, like, 2008, I'd say, mm-hmm. <laughs> being an undergrad in school. Well, yeah, that's that's the cool thing about the, the shorts HD thing. They, they, they'll they put these shorts into theaters, both the live, mm-hmm. all of them, and they generally do, I mean, for what they are, they do decent business. Like, they've been building up more and more box offices. They've been getting more theater exposure over the years, so it's... It's good to see, and it'll, it'll it it will be great to see these kind of get more of an audience over time. So. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right. All right. Have fun with the rest of your podcast. I'm sure it's going amazing. Well, thank you for joining us. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. All right. So that was some extended shorts discussion. Let's uh let's get to what else we've all been watching. Let's start with Brad. Brad, what 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 else have you been seeing recently? Oh, what have I been seeing recently? My goodness. Um, Talk about it all. I mean, well, we're, I'm, I'm saving the Sundance stuff, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, save the Sundance. <laughs> but yeah, what, what, if anything else you've seen recently, either honestly, at home or in theaters, either way. Yeah, I mean, honestly, because of Sundance and just because of how busy I've been, I haven't been to uh, the movie theater in a while. I did just recently take it upon myself to watch The Boss Baby. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, just because I, I needed to get around to seeing it, just to really, like, finally... Uh, you know, know that I was right in my thoughts of like, why wasn't the Lego Batman movie nominated for best animated feature? And you still don't have that answer. <laughs> I, I I don't because uh, I watched the Boss Baby and I just I don't I don't get it. Like it's just uh, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> <laughs> like you can you you can tell all day that like, well, the movie takes place in the kid's imagination. Fine, whatever. But there's no like real life equivalent for what happens in the movie. Like if, if you were able to equate the things that happen to something that actually happened in the boy's life so that it was like a clever play on like 
what the boy imagined actually happened, that would be one thing. Mm-hmm. But but it's so weird and makes so little sense. I just I just don't know what to make of it. Like it's it's just it's dumb. That's the best way to describe <laughs> it. It is it is so stupid. It, it just made me mad watching it. And like there's jokes in it just for the sake of jokes that don't make sense within the confines of the world that has been constructed for this movie. Like for example, uh, when there's that big backyard chase because the kid has recorded the boss baby talking and he's going to play it for his parents and be like, look, the baby can talk. There's a whole chase where he, the, the boss baby is trying to get the tape that his older brother has of him I, talking. I love that you're building frustration as talking about this. <laughs> and, and so the, the, the boss baby is in like a, a pedal police car mm-hmm. and, and the kid grabs onto the back of the police car and in his imagination, it's fast paced. There's explosions. The cars drive really fast. And then it cuts to the parents' point of view, and, and they go, oh, look, they're actually playing together. And the car's going super slow, and the kids right. just hang behind yeah. the back of it. And it's like, okay, so that's the real-world perspective. But then when they go out and they see the kids, like, later, like, it sees that there's chaos and everything like that. And it's like, wait a minute. How are we getting the real-world perspective from here if all of this is supposed to take place in his imagination? And it's just... And there there are sequences that actually do take place in his imagination that are heightened, where the animation style has changed, which looked cool. Yeah. But, but yeah, then it yeah. but then it almost creates like a like a second level of imagination. It's like what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah. It's it's a, it's an acid trip, and I just I don't it's I don't know acid trip. <laughs> well, Brad, you're in, you're in for a treat because they're making Boss Baby too. <laughs> what? What? I don't even know what it can even be about. It makes I, yeah. no sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the money, Brad. Uh, I just, People I, vote I, with I, their dollars, and they voted loud. <laughs> no, I mean, clearly, they, I mean the the um, the the ad camp or the the uh, for your consideration campaign must have really worked because they got this and Ferdinand in there, and it's How like, and I like Ferdinand, but skip, but it's like one of the best like, animated like, of the year. Yeah, for best animated film. Uh, but Boss Baby, yeah, it's just like I, I would, I did not like Boss Baby. I felt like it ran out of steam very quickly, like after a half an hour, and it's like really, like this movie is just. Yeah, I hate it. I hate yeah, it. It's, it, it's, it's not my favorite. That's, that's for sure. Um, and now, yeah, now I'm not, genuinely curious to go watch it just to feel Brad's frustration, though. Well, see, that's like what I hear when like Peter says, like, I'm going to watch Bright now since everyone hates Bright. It's like, why waste? Like, what what are you getting out of this? <laughs> no, <laughs> I stopped Bright like five minutes into the movie. So if or, it's or the like same the, way, or, I, I will I will skip. Or like the snowman. My worst movie last year is like, we got to watch that snowman. That's like, no, this this isn't an encouragement to be like, you'll see it for yourself. Not that I'm saying. But Aaron, there's a twin, a plot never, twist twin. I, I never try to be that guy that says only see this and don't see that. At the same time, it's like I know what's a terrible like <laughs> some movies are just objectively terrible. <laughs> like it's hard to say. But yeah, Boss Baby is one where it's like it just makes me even more frustrated because it has an Oscar nomination. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anything else, Brad? That maybe was less frustrating for you? <laughs> I mean, not really. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, a lot of a lot of what I've been doing is catching up on uh, on stuff on my DVR TV shows. Um, so I've been watching. Uh, I've I've kind of caught up on the Good Place. I haven't watched the end of this season yet, so don't spoil it for me if you if you watch the Good Place. Um, it but ends well. <laughs> that's what I've heard. I, I mean, I've heard that it was good and it was another cool season finale, just like the first one. So uh, I'm interested to finish that. Um, 
But yeah, it's just been I've been super busy, so I haven't really had time to watch many movies. I saw I went to see John Mulaney in Chicago this oh. last. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a new special called Kid Gorgeous, uh, and it was it was fantastic. He's one of my favorite stand-up comedians. So it was, it was, uh, I saw him live when he recorded his last special, The Comeback Kid in Chicago, and we wanted to go again this year. So it was uh, it was great. And the coolest thing was he, he doesn't normally do encores, but he did this time, and he came out and did his uh, the What's New Pussycat bit, which is one of my favorite bits that he's ever done. Uh, but he did it with this like jazz drummer who like added a whole new kind of vibe to it. So it was, it was pretty, it was a good show. But yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of John Mulaney and, um, you know, there was, what is it? The HBO's like autism special that John Stewart, the, the night of it, like a thousand it, stars. Too many, or, thirst, too many stars. Too many stars. Yeah. yeah. Um, that like Mulaney comes out in for like three minutes only and he just crushes it. Like the whole, like the three minutes he's on, it was just like the funniest thing I saw that whole, like, with like a lot of funny people doing a lot of funny things. It was like that little bit that he did was just like phenomenal. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I look forward to whenever this new special he has comes to Netflix so I can watch it. So. Exactly. Are we gonna see you in the audience? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. They didn't record uh, oh, at this okay, one. Gotcha. I'm, yeah, I'm actually not sure uh, which of his locations that they're they'll record it for a special. So where'd you see it, Chicago? Yeah, at the Chicago theater. Yeah, the, the Chicago <laughs> audiences are famously bland. They don't want to film those. But no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Melanie, didn't he like earn his way through Chicago? So, anyway. Yeah, he, he's well, he's from Chicago. So, oh, he, yeah, but, he, oh, okay. Wow, he's still like yeah. from there. Yeah, he I thought filmed, that, for whatever reason, I thought he was from Massachusetts, but that's that's probably like the other half of the comedian world. That's just your white racism. <laughs> uh, but no, he uh, he filmed uh, his last special, Comeback Kid, in Chicago last time, so he probably wanted to mix it up this time and do it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Well, Abe, how about you? What have you been watching recently? Brad, was that the only thing that you've watched so far, aside from Sundance stuff? That's what I asked him. Yes, he okay, said yes. Right. <laughs> just asking. Because I was like, you know, the quickies TM part kind of threw me off a bit. Um, I, I got a chance to watch Paddington 2. And oh. much to what everyone has said, it is the worst movie of the year. It's obvious why it was released in January. So, you know, don't go see it. I'm just joking. It's one of the best heartfelt movies of the year. I think that the cast in it is fantastic. There's a um, performance by by uh, Brendan Gleeson. That yes. rivals any any like acting performance that I've seen in the past year, and it, it, it you know like Call Me by Your Name might be on on a lot of people's number number ones. If Brendan Gleeson was in Call Me by Your Name, it'd probably be like ten times better. But as uh, any of the characters, yeah, as any of the characters, he could have been Timothy Chamolet's character. <laughs> this this young coming of age boy. But uh, no, no, no. The movie is is really well done, and also they they do a lot of really uh, directorial and narrative kind of visual things that that really mm-hmm. impressed me. There there was a pop up book part where they start explaining the story, and I was like, this is this is something I would have never imagined. And the the thing that I immediately thought about was this is probably what everybody who went to art school or has studied digital art or just art in general wishes that they could do. Just basically, hey, let me put my ideas on the page. And do this uh, the way that I see it, right? And I was like, I'm glad that that you can have this kind of expression here in this movie. And as the movie progresses, it does get, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of, it's a simple story, but I think what really what helps it out a lot is people are giving it a lot of effort, you know, whether that's Sally Hawkins or Hugh Grant is also terrific in this movie. He he plays a neighbor who is a thespian 
and he has to do multiple voices at the same time whenever he's putting on makeup and whatever the case is. But uh, it, it was it was all around a really good job. Um, I also was kind of curious why they kept on putting up posters of, you know, have you seen this man? And it was like, why is Sean Penn in this movie? So it was <laughs> it was kind of strange to see that. But other than that, it, it was fine. I mean, I, I, I think that it's great to go watch it with a uh, family. And also, even if you just want to just go watch it on your own, that's totally, that's totally fine. It, the release date kind of throws me off a little bit because... While we've come to know January as kind of a dumping grounds, January and February dumping grounds for movies, um, I think with the with the advent of to, too many releases and throughout the year, I guess this is like the most calm of the year. So perhaps that's why. But I'd, I'd love to hear if you guys have any take on on padding two, but also the January release date. Well, it's it's two things. One, it, it's padding two is essentially a foreign film. It's an international release. It came out there Studio first and made a lot more money. It made a lot more money overseas. Also, there was the whole studio thing where it was a Weinstein company film. And for, I think, obvious reasons, it wanted to disassociate itself with Weinstein and move somewhere else. And that's where Warner Brothers came in and picked up the film. Mm. Brad, am I on, on point on all that? Yep. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so it's and like the first one came out in January, although that was more and that was again, it was more of like it was an international release first and then came over to the United States. So it's more of like an import that just doesn't have that same like similar like Tim Tim. Um, Abe, where it's like, and even that came out on Christmas, but at the same time, Tintin didn't make nearly as much yeah, money right. here as it did overseas. Internationally, so. it just went bonkers. Yeah. And it's just because the, that character, both Tintin and Paddington, they're, they're more well-known um, outside of the United States. Not that, you know, people don't like Paddington Bears. Anna has very much expressed her thoughts on the Paddington Bear and how she misses hers. Um, and she also really liked the pop-up book segment in this film. Um, cool. But um, I do think, as you know, as a box office factor, it's something that is geared more towards you know, an international audience as opposed to us. That said, if more people saw Pat into two, the world would be a better place. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> um, and Abe, you mentioned Brendan Gleeson, who I agree with you is fantastic in this movie, but I told you that my favorite bit was when he revealed his name. Um, that, that made me laugh. hysterically because his name. Yeah. The ship. Yeah. Cause his name is knuckles and he shows his knuckles that are both, they're mismatched cause they're on like, the, he has to cross his hands yeah. to show it. And he has an apostrophe on one of the knuckles. <laughs> like, oh, does he? I didn't notice the apostrophe. Yeah, I noticed, I noticed the end part cause he says it, but yeah. That that's what made me laugh because it's like he doesn't have, there's not enough fingers to make the word knuckles and so like yeah. to compensate he has an apostrophe on one of them yeah. which just that was just the funniest thing to think. He's great in it. There's also another scene where he just has to facially emote for like thirty seconds because he's getting uh-huh. hearts there. I was like, dude, this is great. This, his range is fantastic. I need to see more Brendan Gleeson and also he's looking more more creamsicle these days. Because his beard is getting whiter and he's still got, you know, the red hair. So it's looking creamsicle. And I was like, yeah, I like this look. So anyway, that was one of the ones, movies, one of the movies I saw, uh, recommend. And then the other movie I saw is The Breadwinner. And this is something that uh, oh. uh, uh, Aaron um, let me borrow. But uh, it was uh, it's this movie about this young woman who has to essentially um, get some food and money for her family because her father's been put in prison. So she's got to pretend to be a boy and it is depressing. And, and I, I like that it's, well, it's depressing. And I don't mean that in like a comical way. It's just more like, I appreciated that they went full out. Like this is the reality that we're living in kind of thing. It's kind of guised in the form of a fairy tale because she's telling a fairy tale throughout, or I guess maybe not a fairy tale, but she's telling a story throughout, um, but it is it is kind of just it made me sad and it kind of made me angry and it also made me um, 
you know, it, while it, while it may have like an uplifting uh, ending kind of thing, it's still just the realities of it are, are just so great that it was uh, it was kind of hard to look at it sometimes. Uh, I, I would say that the animation is all right for the main stories, but whenever she gets into the the fairy tale slash, um, um, you know, I guess familial story part, there's some really neat things that they do with the visual aesthetic. Um, it kind of reminds me of some some like old Japanese paintings or whatever the case is. But um, yeah, it, no, it might it, be like a mix of that and like a diorama. That too, like. yeah, because it, it almost looks kind of three dimensional um, in some degrees. But it, it's it's real life like heartache because um, they don't hold anything back. Whether that's um, like men literally beating women in the street kind of thing, or uh, uh, people punching children in the gut kind of thing. It's, it's really tough. And also, um, there's, uh, there's just so much sacrifice that has to go on. It, again, it's, it's something that it's, I wouldn't necessarily say, Hey, you really need to run and see this, but if you were to watch it, I think that you would, you would appreciate it as well. I think, is it nominated for anything? Probably yeah, it's not. Yeah, that's the animated oh, film. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So. It's gonna be a tough category. I mean, this is this is kind of like what Aaron and Anna were talking about with depression movies. Uh, this is not the most the most uplifting movie, but uh, there's a silver lining in it. But we'll we'll see how it fares. So that was the breadwinner. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of the breadwinner as well. I uh, I think it's very effective uh, for what it's doing. And if Coco did not exist, I would easily uh, pick this for the, for the win. Um, but and I know there's a lot of people that have it on like their top tens or whatnot, or certainly would you know put the breadwinner up as the kind of the top of the, cr- the cream of the crop when it comes to like the animated films that have come out in the past year. Um, speaking of which, Anna and I did get to see the film that you, her, and I have all been talking about for the past few weeks, Loving Vincent. Oh, uh, all right. It is back in theaters. That's the great thing about Oscar nominations: movies that you missed get to come back to theaters, such as Get Out, for example. It's back in theaters now if you didn't see it already. Um, but no, Loving Vincent. Um, and obviously it's not in wide release, but in one of the art house theaters near us, it was certainly available. So it was like, yeah, we can finally go see that on a big screen too. And, um, it's, it's certainly the aesthetic that holds this whole thing together. I think the story itself is fine. Like it's, a, there's a neat kind of, even though it's based on history, there's a neat sort of mystery aspect to it that I think works well for the story. Yeah, this, it's kind of, it's kind of like a detective story. That's what Anna's telling me right now. Um, I think the, it goes, so the, this film is, the, the the film the film is set like a a little while after the death of Vincent Van Gogh, but it's kind of recalling it's it's kind of recalling um, the things that led up to that in varying perspectives on what may have happened. Not that there's much doubt over what happened, but there and if you I'm not gonna go completely into it, but you can look it up or just see the film yourself to find out. But there's various people that were involved during the kind of end period of his life that certainly have things to say about who he was and who he was trying to be and what he was doing. Um, famously that involves like the cutting off the ear thing, which most people seem to associate with Van Gogh other things. Um, but the, um, but the, the, you know, obviously the neat thing is the aesthetic of the film. So every frame of this film, which is like 65,000 frames is an oil painting. Yeah. Um, it, and that's, there's over, there was like a team of like a hundred artists that worked on this film. It took several years uh, to make, and every kind of all of the paintings, all of the different frames, they they all connect to various Van Gogh paintings. Um, they they're all representative of kind of the work that he did. So it has this really unique look to it because you get interactive like the characters that were featured in his paintings and whatnot. So it's 
from that aspect, I mean, and it's not, you know, it's only like a 80 minute film or whatnot. So it's not like, you know, it's not taking too much time, but like the, the effort put in, um, is very much worthwhile to see because it's just unlike anything you've really seen, certainly in like a, a mainstream, like a, a feature length film. Um, even if it has like some people, like uh, Clint Mansell does the score, who's, you know, always pretty game to do stuff. And like Chris O'Dowd and Saoirse Ronan are among the actors that were involved. So it's, it's essentially like a rotoscoping because they did have like the actors there and they kind of painted over them, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's quite interesting to watch for sure. It's certainly worthwhile. I, I wouldn't expect it to necessarily win an Academy Award, but I'm certainly happy that it's gotten the recognition it has just to bring more awareness to a film like this that's so, you know, kind of bold and different from other things that are out there. Yeah. That's Loving Vincent, which uh, yeah we've been talking about, and now we've you know some of us have seen it, so that's <laughs> good. Um, what else? Uh, I mentioned Winchester, the only main film release of the week. Sarah Winchester's mind is as chaotic as the house itself. We're worried about her sanity, Doctor Price. Mrs. Winchester, it's a pleasure to finally meet you. Do you believe in ghosts, Dr. Price? I do not believe in anything I cannot see or study. I feel their presence in the air, in the walls. It has found us. <laughs> Ideally, this could have been like a solid like winter horror movie that's like, you know, satisfying enough and is like, it's not special, but it's fine. It's not that. It's just really bad, uh, which is unfortunate. Yeah, because um, so it's from the director, the Spirit Brothers. Uh, who I've previously championed because they have a film, Predestination, that was on my top, top ten list a few years ago with uh, Ethan Hawke. Um, a really cool time travel film that we reviewed on this podcast, actually. <laughs> I, I was the biggest fan of it. Um, but since then, and they did a film before that called Daybreakers, also with Ethan Hawke, about vampires. Um, that's pretty interesting. And a film before that that doesn't have Ethan Hawke called Undead. Uh, but since then, uh, they did Jigsaw last year, which seemed more like a work for hire kind of direct uh, kind of uh, kind of film. And, and they have this film, Winchester, which I thought would be like more their speed. It's about the Winchester Mystery House, which is a famous mansion that's in San Jose. I've actually been to it. Um, it is this kind of impossibly designed house that has stairs that lead to nowhere, um, a very confusing structure. It was built in the early 1900s um, by an old an old woman, a widow played in the film by Helen Mirren, who's the, the widow of Winchester, the man, uh, Mr. Winchester, who owned the Winchester, the, the rifle company. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the film supposes is that her desire to build this house, and when I mean build, I mean there's like 24-hour construction on this house. It was constantly being built, uh, literally. There's 24-hour construction. People are always at this house building different new, new rooms, new wings, what have you, new floors. It was seven stories tall at one point before it got taken down to four. Um, the, the idea that this film supposes is that ghosts are instructing her to do this. Um, the, the ghosts of people that were killed by Winchester rifles. Um, and it has, uh, Jason Clark who comes in, um, who not quite a friend of the show yet, Abe, but he's we like not him, quite. Right? I think not, he's getting there. Yeah. We, we like, we like our, we like Jason Clark quite a bit. Uh, but he's, Except uh, for he's Terminator. He played. <laughs> oh. um, don't talk about that. <laughs> You'll get me on a on a brat on no, the no, no, on yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> but like Jason Clark is a psychiatrist who's brought in to kind of determine whether or not Ella Mirren's Winchester character is like of sound mind uh, for the purposes of the stake of the Winchester company because she owns like majority shares in it. 
And from there, you get kind of a requisite haunted house movie where it just gets a bunch of bumps in the night, random jump scares and whatnot. And what doesn't help is that there's nothing special about this movie, which is a shame because the Winchester, that's inherently kind of creepy, just this building that exists. And I would have liked to think that the Spirit Brothers or just anybody could have made a really interesting haunted house movie out of it where, you know, you kind of explore the house and you get some like. In creepiness, that's not just like let's just play music really loud and have a you know a ghost jump out at you. Like there's it's just constantly that instead of something more interesting. And something we talk about Abe quite a bit is geography of locations. And I can understand to an extent that a house this confusing shouldn't necessarily have very clear geography because that should be kind of like the fun of it. But the film, whether it's a budget thing or something else, it just it doesn't really do much with the house. The house never feels like a character. Which for a movie called Winchester, you'd really hope the house feels like a character in its movie, and it doesn't. It's not as effective as any other recent haunted house movies, let alone some of the classics. Um, and so, yeah, it's just kind of this nothing film. There's nothing really recommendable about it. Helen Mirren and Jason Clark, they do their job, but Mirren could have easily played this a lot more campy. And, like, you know, it was like, like in the Red movies, for example, like, you know, there's clear or even Fate of the Furious. Like, clearly she has the kind of the energy needed to make, you know, something of a performance out of this. And instead, she's just kind of like, she's just there. Hmm. And Jason Clark is kind of fun at the beginning because he's. He has his own problems, and there's a reason why he's at the house to begin, like, other reasons beyond just being hired. And there's some fun that he seems to be having towards the beginning, but that kind of goes away pretty quickly. So, yeah, it's just a nothing kind of film. It's just very forgettable, which is unfortunate, because I think there was more potential here than we end up seeing. There's that. Um, What else? We wrap up things. I'll mention that I... I won't talk about Black Panther yet, um, but I will mention... How watched, dare you even bring but, that up? But I will mention that I saw... You know I, watched, I haven't seen it. <laughs> but I did watch Ryan Kluger's previous films, Fruitvale Station and Creed again. Okay. Uh, which are still really good. Um, Fruitvale Station is so is heartbreaking, but it's a, just a fantastic kind of day in the life of this guy. Mm-hmm. And like I, we've talked about this before, and it's... But I think it's 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 incredibly strong filmmaking, and I think Michael B. Jordan is great in it, much like he's great in Creed, which continues to be a really great movie. Um, certainly, like I think the second best Rocky movie, but just that movie is just it just really flows. It just really does a great job of presenting you this new character, tying it into that franchise and whatnot. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm continually impressed by Ryan Coogler. <laughs> so nice. he's done a very good job with at least two films. We'll talk about Black Panther in a couple weeks. Okay. Um, and yeah, I think that's everything we want to get to right now. So let's uh, as I know, quickies. Tim, let's move on. Let's uh, let's get to some Sundance stuff now. Let's uh, let's talk with Brad about what happened at the Sundance Film Festival this year. Um, so okay, basically, Abe and I are just kind of kind of we'll ask questions here or there. But I want Brad, you just kind of tell us uh, what what went down at Sundance. Maybe you want to start with some of the maybe some of the films that you most admired there, or you, how about the films you're you're looking forward to? I guess. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it snowed a bit. And I saw some movies, and then I came back home. <laughs> so I'm not sure if there's anything else that you want to know, but <laughs> that's pretty much it. Uh, how so much did it snow? <laughs> uh, actually, you know, for a day and a half, it actually snowed way too much. Um, they they had a winter storm warning for about about 36 hours, and it snowed nonstop for those entire 36 hours. Liam Neeson was there. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> Uh, it was Liam Neeson from both Nonstop and The Grey. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it was, um, yeah, 
this this was a good festival for me. Um, it was a little. I stayed a little bit less time than I normally do. I, I was there from opening night through Tuesday, um, which was like I think it was the 17th through the 23rd. So I, was, I, I had about five days of of uh, actual festival because we usually get there the day before. Um, so that allowed me to see 17 movies total, um, which is the least that I've ever seen from the entire uh, eight-year run that I've had. What's the most? Sundance. Huh? What's the most number you've seen? The most, I believe, was 28, and that was That's during a my lot early of movies. Yeah, well, that was during my earlier years when I was staying for pretty much the entire run of the fest mm-hmm. from Thursday through the second weekend. Um, that usually just doesn't happen anymore just because uh, it's usually doesn't end up being worth the cost. But yeah, so um, 17 movies uh, total over those days. And overall, I would say this was one of the least buzzy festivals. There wasn't really any huge breakout movies that everyone was talking about or everyone was saying, oh my gosh, you have to see this. Um, you know, That's the impression I'm getting. Yeah, there's not one. Yeah. That- I can see, you know, there's no specific film that I'm like, oh, that's going to be one of the major Oscar contenders next year. Like, yeah, exactly. Year. And and even before the festival, um, there wasn't necessarily anything that I was super pumped to see either. There was definitely some that I was interested in seeing, like uh, the Mr. Rogers documentary, um, and I was interested in seeing Summer of '84, and uh, You Were Never Really Here, which had played at Cannes already, so I was yeah. already interested in that because it you know already had some buzz going for it um but otherwise there was nothing that i was over the moon for in like in previous years where there's been like a boyhood or something like that to to really get excited about um but overall right exactly but but even so overall there was i um i think this is actually one of the best runs i've had as far as movies that i've seen i didn't see anything that i disliked um at least, well, let me say, I, there wasn't anything that I hated. There was one movie that I was disappointed in, and there was a few that I was just lukewarm on that I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the other movies I thought were really good, and I, and I enjoyed quite a bit. So I, I was pretty you were able to like cut You were able to like cut the fat, essentially, by seeing less movies. Uh, yes, I mean, yes, but but at the same time, when it comes to Sundance, too, it's it's you never really know what your experience is going to be like. Like, for yeah. example, uh, last year... Uh, Peter didn't really have a good run with the movies that he had chosen to see because uh, you, for the first few days, you know, you're seeing movies that you're just basically just taking a chance on because there's no buzz for any of these movies for the most part, mm, except I for see. the ones that are, that are in the spotlight section that have played previous festivals. So you don't really know what you should go out of your way to see or what people are saying about movies until you're a few days into the festival. So it's kind of a crapshoot in that regards. Um, and so some of it is, is luck as far as whether or not you're seeing movies that actually do turn out to be good since you're just basing your, you know, what you want to see based on a very short description of the movie and usually a few stills from the movie. Very rarely are there trailers that are released ahead of time. Um, so I, I was happy to, that I had such a good run as far as not having any movies that I disliked, because there's usually like two or three movies that I was just like, oof, that was not good. But it didn't happen this year, so I was pretty satisfied by that. Um, Let's talk about some of the movies that you really liked. Where, where were some of the like, really big standouts? Yeah, um... One of my favorite ones for sure was uh, one of the opening night movies, which was Blind Spotting, um, which is a uh, movie that stars David Diggs, uh, one of the stars of Hamilton, and it's directed by a newcomer Carlos Lopez Estrada. It, it follows David Diggs as a uh, a felon who is a few days away from his probation being up, so that he doesn't uh, have to stay in like this uh, halfway house anymore. 
and he's just trying to stay out of trouble. But his uh, friend makes it a little bit difficult because he likes to run his mouth and get into into situations that otherwise, you know, stir up some problems in their neighborhood. Uh, they live in Oakland, and it's a very uh, bright, vibrant, lively depiction of of the city. Um, it definitely what's interesting about it is it's the best way to describe it is it's kind of like a modern do the right thing mm-hmm. where the movie movie has these focuses on gentrification and racism and cultural appropriation um the black lives matter movement black black lives matter movement and you know police shootings but even though it deals with all these very serious subjects it's also an extremely funny movie mm-hmm. um it has so much energy going through it entirely david diggs is fantastic you know he on a dime, he goes from being really funny and charismatic to being uh, extremely serious and, and dramatic. It's it is a um, a very hard hitting movie at times, but it also has a lot of lightness to it and really really amusing moments. Performances are great. Uh, if you like David Diggs doing his rap thing, he does does it plenty of times in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was I was just really really pleased. I actually let, ended up liking it more and more as I was thinking about it in retrospect as the festival. Uh, went on so yeah it's definitely definitely a bright spot of the festival a good place to, to start very cool and, um and then uh switching gears a little bit um like i said i was excited about the mr rogers documentary which is called won't you be my neighbor and it was even better than i thought it would be i was expecting it to be this you know wonderful charming uh look at fred rogers but it was even more moving than i expected and it's also extremely satisfying because there, this isn't the kind of movie that has these revelations of like, oh, Fred Rogers wasn't who you thought he was, and you know, here's these secrets and that kind of thing. That'd be depressing. <laughs> right, right. But that, and, that, and that's what was so great about it is like, you find out that Fred Rogers really was this kind of pure, uh, good-hearted person who wanted nothing more than to try and help kids understand the complicated world around him. And just you see these interactions that he has with younger kids from archived footage at live events and uh, from. Uh, clips from old episodes of the show and it's just it's just really touching um and really heartening to see him you know doing all this good work and you realize that we'll really never get anybody like that ever again uh you know he was it's kind of a a once in a lifetime tv icon situation where he he just came along at the right time and was the right person to influence you know all these generations of kids and this is a show that started in the late 60s and ran through the late nineties before he retired and the, and the show came to an end. So um, it was really cool to just take a look back at like episodes that I hadn't seen because they had aired before I was uh, a kid and had grown up on uh, Mr. Rogers myself. And it was fascinating to look back and see just the deep complex issues that he tackled on a show that was meant for kids. Even the earliest episodes, they were talking about things like war because Vietnam mm-hmm. was going on and they talked about assassination around the time Bobby Kennedy was killed. Um, and they just all these different things and like relating them to kids. It was so cool to see a show that, you know, just never tried to pander to kids and just wanted to help them understand and uh, feel like they had a place in everything that was happening around them. It was uh, it's it's a great documentary. I it brought tears to my eyes uh, more than a few times. Um, especially the ending. The ending is is uh, very cool and uh, very moving. So it's uh, that comes out in June. Focus Features had already oh, picked, it up, picked it up before the festival had even started. So everyone will get a chance to see that. Oh, yeah, I very much look forward to that one for sure. Yeah. Um, 
what's another movie they liked? Oh, I, re- I really enjoyed uh, Eighth Grade, which is the uh, directorial and writing debut from Bo Burnham. The oh, YouTube okay. Comedian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. YouTube star turned stand-up comedian. Um, he's very, very famous now. And he directed this movie that is about a 13-year-old girl in her last year of eighth grade before she goes off to high school. And for a 27-year-old male comedian to perfectly capture the voice of a 13-year-old girl, especially one living in today's age, uh, it was incredible to see, almost frustrating that somebody could tap into a character so well. Um, it, the girl's played by Elsie Fisher, who is better known for, as a voice actress. She voices uh, one of the kids from Despicable Me, one of Gru's daughters. Hmm, okay. Um, she is outstanding in this movie. Uh, she's just... It, it hel- obviously, it helps that she was the exact age that this character was, and they filmed the movie as she was transitioning from eighth grade to high school during summer in between. But it would be it's one thing to, you know, be that age and just be a person, but for her to act in this way and put forth a performance and, you know, pretend to be awkward, as, you know, so many te- teens are in that this time, but, you know, between adolescence and becoming high, high school, uh she just did such a great job and there there's little there's little things that you don't you would think that are just who she is but were very calculated parts of the script um part of what she does as a girl is she does these like little youtube videos where she's giving advice to people uh-huh. and it's usually it's usually advice that she's not very good at following herself <laughs> herself when it comes to her real life she's just pretending to be more confident online and there's a lot of her talking going like and you know but well and that's just like what you do. And it sounds so natural coming out of her mouth. And it wasn't her talking as a teenager, but those were things that were scripted by Bo Burnham, you know, himself. And so he just, he knows how to, uh, how to create a character that feels so in tune with what adolescents actually are going through today. So that kind of thing combined with, you know, the, the unnecessarily confrontational relationship she has with her father, who is, you know, desperately trying to like connect with her in a very awkward and goofy way. And she's just always annoyed or embarrassed by him for no reason. And the conversations she has with kids when she's trying to be cool or trying to make a connection, uh, he he just perfectly captured what it's like to be an awkward teenager in an adorable and charming way. Is that, is that, does that have a release date? I don't think it has a release date yet. I'm actually not even sure that it got picked Picked up up? yet. Hmm. Yeah. Um, But I'm sure it will at some point because it's, it's great. It got, it got a lot of great reviews. Um, my uh, Another interesting movie that actually one of our, our other uh, writers on the ground saw, I, I saw this too, but he liked it a lot more, was a movie called Search, which is a thriller that stars John Cho of the Harold and Kumar franchise. Um, and the movie entirely unfolds on computer screens, a lot like that uh-huh. horror movie Unfriended. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it gives you an idea of like... Uh, this family and uh, John Cho and his wife and his daughter and goes through like their, uh, their life together. And you see it unfold uh, kind of like those uh, Google commercials that end up pulling at your heartstrings and you're really mad that a commercial can make you cry <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that. And it gives their backstory. And then, you know uh, what happens is all of a sudden uh, his daughter goes missing and they don't know where she is. And so he's trying to figure it out. And so all of this unfolds on, you know, uh, either MacBooks or iPhones, computer screens, 
and he's you know going through various websites trying to find her and uh, FaceTime between him and uh, the police officer put in charge of the case, which is played by Deborah Messing. Hmm. And it is uh, it is certainly a, a very entertaining and exciting thriller. It takes some uh, questionable turns um, as the the mystery unfolds and the story continues. I, I won't spoil anything, obviously, um, but it is. I was entertained the whole way through, even though I was like, this is getting a little bit wild for me. Um, but it's, it's a very fun movie. It's, it's, I think it's, it's one of the movies that I saw, I think that will, uh, has the best hope at finding a mainstream audience, um, and making a decent amount of, of money when, once it hits theaters. Do you mean wild, uh, like in an outlandish way or wild in a, well, you know, that, that's a little bit like cringeworthy way. Um, no, no, wild in a way where it's it's like I don't really know if I buy that okay. kind of thing. Yeah, like like there there are some interesting leaps like as is far it, as like a, like a stretch because of the format of the film that you're locked into these screens like that like that, based off of, around that or just around like the actual story around the story. Okay, okay, yeah, because I, uh, I I I something like Unfriended for example, it's like I stretch to you have to like kind of stretch to think, why would you still have the computer as like the, the way of seeing everything? So that's that's sometimes my concern of that kind of film. Or any yeah. kind, even like a found footage film, for example, where you just oh, for sure. Yeah, it's like you could either so you know, sometimes the story, you know, is airtight, but you're like, well why would we still need this perspective though? So that's that was my curiosity. Yeah, for sure. There's uh there's a, a little bit of that where it's a bit of a stretch that like you would be able to this perspective would exist because mm-hmm. that's just usually not how people operate with their technology, but it's, it's nothing that's not forgivable for yeah, what, they're, yeah. what they're trying to pull off. If you're, if you're along the ride for this gimmick, you're probably going to be able to stick with that. If you're not, yeah, ex- exactly. If you're not vomiting it up after 20 minutes, you're probably good for the ride. So. Right. Um, so, uh, my favorite movie out of the festival though, was a movie called the Tale, hmm. uh, which stars Lord Dern. It's another part of the, the Dern <laughs> and uh, the movie is directed by Jennifer Fox, who is a documentary filmmaker, and uh, it's autobiographical, and it's it follows Laura Dern basically playing Jennifer Fox as a documentary filmmaker, and her mother, played by Ellen Burstyn, sends her this story that she uh, wrote when she was just 13, where she talks about this um, special relationship that we had she had with these two people who were at the equestrian camp that she went to when she was a little girl. Um, and there's this, uh, woman, Mrs. G played by Elizabeth Debicki, who is basically her, uh, her equestrian coach, you know, teaches her how to, how to ride and, and that kind of thing. And, um, do a lot of uh, equestrian events, you know, horse jumping, that kind of thing. And then someone who lives nearby is Jason Ritter, who is like uh, a track coach, former Olympian. And he like, you know, helps along her like by training them and, uh, kind of giving them just a regimen to stick to. Um, what unfolds as she is reading through the story, which her mother finds to be worrisome and inappropriate is that she starts pouring through these memories that she poured into the story and comes to the realization that she has all these repressed uh, memories about being sexually abused Hmm. by these people. And so as the story goes along, the way Jennifer Fox kind of plays with the uh, narrative elements of, of memory is interesting because we see certain memories play out. And then as Laura Dern goes along, reading the story and thinking about what happened, some things change when she starts to really dig into what actually happened and realizing that things that unfolded were more traumatic and more manipulative 
than she has tricked herself into believing after all these years. And so, um, it's, uh, the movie is very unsettling. Um, it's extremely disturbing because it, uh, fully depicts the abuse that, that went on, um, with this young girl. But it is such a necessary and timely movie simply because of, you know, what, uh, Hollywood and really the rest of society is dealing with, with the, the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the story, you know, even though it's Jennifer Fox's real-life account of what happened to her when she was a, uh, a child, you know, it's the story of so many people who, you know, haven't confronted these haunted, you know, memories from their past or these these traumas that they've dealt with before. And it just feels like a really necessary movie. Um, Laura Dern's fantastic in it. Uh, the young girl who plays her younger self is fanta- is, is also great in it, as, as is uh, Jason Ritter. Um it is just, yeah, it's a, it's a great movie, very harrowing. Um, yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough. I see John Hurd's in this as well. This has to be like his last film, I'd imagine, right? Since he passed away. I believe it is, yeah. Right. That's the tale. Did that find distribution? Uh, yeah, it did. HBO Films actually picked it up. Okay. HBO Films, okay. And all right, that was your, so that was your favorite one. It was. But, uh, so, okay, I mentioned Assassination Nation, which I believe you listed as your, the wildest film you saw. At, uh, yes, uh, that movie is definitely crazy. Um, that's one of the ones I feel like I ended up being a little bit more lukewarm on than anything, simply because I feel like it's, it tries to do so much in a big, bombastic package mm-hmm. that it, it kind of gets lost in the insanity of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like a modern day Salem witch trial kind of thing where, uh, there's, uh, it's set in a small town called Salem, and there's this hacker who has released um, the internet search history and text messages and emails of the mayor of the town, and it's uh, unearthed this like scandal uh, where he's been having inappropriate uh, relationships with people and uh, has been dressing in women's clothing and all these things, and so it ruins his career, and everyone's talking about it, everyone's buzzing about it, people are making jokes, da-da-da-da, and then... Uh, the next person to, to get hacked is the high school principal. And then it just starts escalating from there where yeah. more and more people get their phones hacked and stuff gets released online. And so the whole idea of the movie is that it, it basically takes all of our behavior on the internet and brings it into the real world. And the way that people treat people online is the way people start to treat each other in this town. Okay. Uh, and it's the, the whole idea is that they are hypocritical for condemning and, uh, insulting and you know banishing people for doing all these things, even though everybody else in the town is guilty of be- doing just as despicable things online. And so it turns into basically this big town-wide riot, uh, where it's, um, what happens is these there's these four girls who are like really good friends, um, and they end up kind of getting blamed for the hack because somebody it, during like the trying to figure out who it is uh, pins it on her, and so. It kind of turns into this crazy, almost, I don't know, kind of Tarantino-esque, like, finale where, like, there there's shootouts and ex- explosions and just, it kind of, kind of just all hell breaks loose. And it, it, it sounds satirical, I think, obviously. Yes, but is, is there, it's, 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 it's satirical, but it also is definitely trying to make a pretty deep a, message. Yeah, for yeah. sure. 
I remember watching the trailer for this, and I was like, what the fuck am I watching here? I actually, I think I had to stop it like three quarters of the way in, and I was like, I don't like the tone that this is going for. But if it's satirical, I get that. It sounds more interesting now that you've talked about it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, I'm not sure that it, it, it ends up uh, being as strong as the, the filmmaker maybe hoped, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's definitely one of the more uh, original and crazy movies I've seen in a while. Speaking of crazy, did you see the the Nick Cage film, uh, Mandy? I did not. Uh, ben Pearson did for okay. Slash Film, and uh, he kind of described it as a slow burn that leads up to like a, a John Wick style acid trip of a movie. That's kind of the that's actually kind of the impression I got. I know it's from the director of Panos Cosmatos, uh, who's the son of uh, George P. Cosmatos, who directed some Rambo's Rambo and a tombstone well, ghost directed supposedly to tombstone. Um, but he, but Panos Cosmatos, he directed a film a few years ago called beyond the black rainbow, which is like a real mind trippy kind of like midnight movie that you really don't get much of anymore. It's more something you'd see in like seventies and eighties. And that was when I was like, well, that's, that was wild. And there's some really interesting visual effects work in that one. So I was like, Oh, now he has like, now he's made a Nick cage movie. <laughs> so it's like, this has to be even crazier. And yeah, from all I've, kind of seen that's certainly what the case is supposed to be so i was curious if you had a chance to see it no it was one of the ones that i missed uh well what else what else did you uh anything terrible that you're just like this is how did this even get into the festival um so the one movie that i was most disappointed in and not necessarily because it it was bad but just because it, it just i was hopeful for it and it didn't bring anything new to the table and it just kind of it was almost aggressively average in this way um, it's called Summer of 84, and it's essentially Stranger Things meets Rear Window, where uh, okay. it, it, takes place, it takes place in the summer of 1984, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and there's this group of kids where one of them who is like obsessed with conspiracy theories and uh, mysteries and that kind of thing um, comes to the conclusion that their next door neighbor, who is a single police officer named Mr. Mackey, played by Rich Summer from Mad Men, uh, <laughs> is... Uh, the the Cape May Slayer. So there's this killer who has been making the rounds around the area um, where multiple teenage boys have disappeared and are presumed to be dead. Hmm. And and the, well, the kid has come to the conclusion that it has to be this guy for you know uh, s- several reasons that you know come that are given away at the beginning of the movie. It's uh, the the plot unfolds is exactly what you would expect from a movie that follows the rear window formula or the Disturbia formula for those who maybe are more familiar with the modern take mm-hmm. on the story. Um, it's extremely predictable. It is, it's um, the nostalgia factor doesn't really help any because it just feels like it's a diet stranger things. Basically it's, it's all everything we've seen before from the, the synth score to, you know, the, the Goonies esque group of kids who are sarcastic and funny mm-hmm. and, just the, most of the characters just feel so two dimensional and cookie cutter. And the only th- uh, interesting thing that the movie does is at the very end, and I, I won't spoil it, but it it makes an interesting, uh, creates an interesting dynamic um, at the very end between two characters that we haven't really seen in a movie like this before. Hmm. But it's not enough to save the movie. It it is enough to kind of plant the idea that maybe there's the possibility for. Uh, more movies that could do something Summer interesting. Summer of 85? Yeah, or actually, like, uh, Ben Pierce <laughs> and I were talking about this after we saw it, because we both saw the premiere of it uh, at the midnight showing, was, like, if they would just come back and every 10 years oh. 
do something with the same character because it's just um yeah i can't really say much more than that but it's just it's a very interesting it would be an interesting premise if they were to do something like that where kind of like a horror uh before sunrise kind of kind of thing mm-hmm. um but but yeah it was otherwise i was just i was very disappointed that it was so average and didn't do anything new to bring to the table by the way that I poster th- though looks like a fear street poster yeah, the post. Yeah, the poster is great, and that, that's the thing is like they they almost tried so so hard to ingrain themselves in the era that they it's like that they didn't focus their energy anywhere else that they probably should have yeah. by doing something a little bit more original. I see it's from the directors of uh, Turbo Kid, which I still get yes. to watch. I know some of you guys have seen it. Um, I guess this is you know the, the next step of the this is like three directors it looks like. Uh, looks yes. like it, yeah. I mean, Turbo yeah, Kid was also like a, an 80s callback movie, wasn't it? Or am I thinking of like the BMX thing? I can't remember. I, as I said, I yet, I've yet to see Turbo yeah. Kid, but I've, just, I've, heard, I've heard a number of things about it. That seems kind of, it seems like um, kind of pastiche or homage to certain eras. Seems like they're, they're kind of the thing they do with, uh, with their films, but it looks like, or it sounds like Summer of 84 is kind of maybe focusing a bit too much on that, not enough on how else to make the film interesting. Anything else, Brad? You want to get into? Um, talk about. I guess one of the more pleasant surprises that I really enjoyed was a movie called Hearts Beat Loud, which is a, a movie that stars Nick Offerman and Kiersey Clemens, and it follows uh, them as a father and daughter, where the daughter is getting preparing to head off to uh, pre med over at UCLA, um, and her, her, Nick Offerman is her father, and he has run a record store called Red Hook Records in New York for a while, but uh, he's getting ready to close it down just because it's not really successful anymore, and he's just kind of reached the point where he's he's basically just done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have this like little bonding uh, time they have every now and then where they have a jam session. They're, they both play instruments. Nick Offerman used to be uh, a pretty successful musician, had a, had a record deal, and was, was kind of a big deal at one point um, before his uh, wife passed away. And then, so they've uh, they've kind of been on their own for a while, and he's starting to deal with the fact that she's getting ready to leave, and so they, they connect by uh, making music, and they happen to make a new song together because she has been writing some poems, and so they put music to it, and they have this kind of fun, uh, you know, jam session where they create the song, and it turns out to be this really good, catchy, like, indie pop rock song, uh, and uploads it to Spotify, and it gets really popular, and then he wants to like keep the band going, keep writing music. Uh, and the, it's a lot like Sing Street. The soundtrack is so good in this movie. The songs that they write and create are really fun. Uh, the story doesn't take the same kind of traje- trajectory of, you know, a band trying to be famous or, or anything like that. Um, but deals more with just the, the character relationships and, the, and their dynamic. Hmm. But the, the music in this movie is, is so good. Uh, I can't wait to, for the songs to be released. I can actually listen to them because they were just really catchy and they just kind of have you bobbing your head and tapping your foot and just, you know, smiling because of how upbeat the songs are. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I, I heard about that based off the music aspect because it's from, uh, I think, the composer's Keegan DeWitt, who um, he did the music for Morris from America, which was at Sundance. Oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Craig Craig Robinson. Craig, that's Craig, a, yeah. Yeah, and that's a movie yeah. I really liked as well. So, yeah, that, that, I'm excited about that. I <laughs> see more music from that. From that. But that one, so that one's called Heart, Hearts Beat Loud. Yeah. yeah, it's called Hearts Be Loud. Uh, it, um, it did get picked up, uh, and, but there's no release date yet, but it, hopefully it'll come out sometime this year. 
And I see it's from the director Brett Haley, who did The Hero of Sam Elliott last year, which actually I like that. You like that movie, yeah. Yeah. And it also co-starred Nick Offerman. So there you go. More connections. There you go. I am really excited now for Eighth Grade and uh, Hearts to Be Loud. You mentioned a number of films here, Brad, that I, I'm looking forward to catching up on at some point. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's some, there's some good stuff. Um, yeah. We, if you you, get, if you want to check out more about Sundance, you know, we have a whole bunch of coverage over at Slash Film. We have uh, reviews from me and Ben Pearson and uh, Steve Prokopi, um, who helped us out uh, in a pinch since our editor in chief Peter Serretta fractured his wrist upon his first day arriving at Sundance. And oh uh, man, yeah, that's yeah. And then our other reporter, Chris Evangelista, got uh, sick overnight before he was supposed to fly out in the morning to make it out there, and we couldn't get him a replacement flight that was uh, cheap enough to make it worth him coming out. So we're operating at half capacity, uh, the Slash Home team was, and, and Steve helped us out by getting some reviews that we otherwise would not have had time to catch. So uh, there's a lot of good stuff to see uh, over at Slash Home. If you want to check out our reviews and our uh festival recap and all that jazz i recommend you do that yeah i'll be sure to put the links to the in the show notes for sure awesome but uh yeah, thanks for going over the sundance with it's great for sure and uh, i look forward to our uh, invites next year sundance thanks a lot <laughs> yeah rob yeah bobby i don't know who these people are yeah greg no but bobby redford you know oh oh you call him bobby okay all right <laughs> bobby you know? i know i know him as uh 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 Mr. Red. I don't know. Anyway. I call him Our Man from All Is Lost. That's what I say. Makes sense. Yeah. I call him the bad right. guy from Captain America. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on. Let's get to let's get a quick out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. We're going to go over some of the questions answered on our Facebook page. I didn't ask any questions this week, but we no did questions. get one, we did get one question towards us yeah. that we can go over. Um, it is from Philip. He asks, in the spirit of Fargo, speaking of snow. What are some movies that would make a good TV series? I heard someone say Brick, and I thought that was a genius idea. So, what are some some TV some movies that would make good TV series? Um, I'd say like uh, Batman. I don't know if that's ever been done. Um, <laughs> and then, like, it depends on which Batman. I guess you could go for Tim Burton or or Nolan stuff. But uh, uh, let me think here. You know, before before they redid the movie, I, I think Jumanji actually would have been an, an, a pretty interesting TV show for, I guess, that, that teenage audience. Well, there was a cartoon show of Jumanji. There was, yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of like something like, um, what was that? What was that movie where they're out in the wild and their dad is British? The wild Thornberries. Yes, that one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. There's probably a whole bunch of answers for this. I, you know, what was bummer. This is a change of a related. Uh, the Sarah Connor, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. This is, like, yeah, this is actually Terminator. a pretty decent show. It's a it's a better show than most of the Terminator movies we've gotten in recent years. Yeah, so yes. it's a decent show, and then it just I guess nobody watched it because they were like, oh, well, I'm expecting a, an hour and fifty minute movie increment type. And I was like, well, bummer. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other things because like a lot of a lot of things that have actually been turned into TV shows at this point, so I'm trying to think of something that would be, I guess, uniquely fit into this sort of subcategory. Um, and they did do it for Tron as well. I know that you weren't big on Tron Legacy. Um, I don't like Tron Legacy, I did, I, but no, I did, I did like that cartoon series quite okay. a bit. It was like a Disney XD series. It's like, once they got Star Wars, they just got rid of everything Tron, because then, like, the Star Wars TV show really just took over. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Trying to think of more, like you put more Cohen stuff in there. Like, what if there's like a Miller's Crossing TV show to go with the <laughs> show? It's 
It wasn't a lot. And it, it, it still it, it still stars Gabriel Byrne just getting drunk every week and getting into random shenanigans. Every time I think about Gabriel Byrne, I always think about him like either being possessed or he, he's like the uh, the incarnation of like the devil or something like that. Because in those horror movies from End of Days, yeah, End of Days, he's just like okay, all right, screaming Gabriel Byrne is the embodiment. <laughs> Fred, anything offhand you can think of as far as movies turning into TV shows? Um. No, not really. I I think a live action Ghostbusters series could be cool, but yeah. You know. All right. Well, that's feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Now we uh, we got some time here, Abe. Hey, what? Uh, oh, what Aaron. I think it might be time for a game or two here. How sweet! That was actually the the tune that plays whenever you open up uh, the doors in the Winchester house. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's, it's pretty <laughs> that was, scary. That was, of course, the improv theme for games. Abe, do you have a game for us this week? I do. I might have two. It depends on how how long we're going. But uh, this is uh, the IMDb game, but more themed around so long to January. So what I did was I looked at the top grossing movies of January and I picked out one actor, and uh, <laughs> we're gonna okay. do the IMDb game. So if you guys guess the top four, and then I'm in the person's IMDb, be great. So. Obviously, in Insidious Alaska, I just was like, okay, well, you know, Lin Shea is probably the only notable character, so I skipped that. 12 Strong, Michael Shannon. Okay, so you, you're you're picking actors from movies released this past January, yep. and akin to, like, Doug Lowe's movies, you want us to guess the, the, the top, top the, four. The top four movies on their, on their, according on their, to their actor IMDb profile? Page. Yes. Okay. And, uh... This is this is no this guessing? is no like guess or this is no like uh, anybody that's just gonna chime in. But um, yeah, Brad, what do you think is in what what movies or what movie? Well, let's go singular. What movie do you think might be in Michael Shannon's top four? Uh, I'm gonna say Man of Steel. Okay, well, that's a good guess. Oh, that makes me want to guess Batman v Superman just by that nature alone. But I, hmm, Michael Shannon. Um, screw it. I'll say take shelter. Why not? Let's put okay. take shelter in there. Want Brad to guess again? Is that what yeah. you want? Okay. Uh, I'll say midnight special. Ooh. All right. Um, I guess nocturnal animals. We got the Oscar nomination for that. Are we still guessing? We're, we're each going to guess four. Are we going to keep guessing or we want to yeah, do Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's do the four. Uh, I'll we say. four at this point, didn't we? No, no, no. But I mean, each four. Yeah. I'll say oh. Shave Water. Okay. Um, well, then I will say Batman v Superman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I'll, I'm going to take one of Aaron's because I think take, take Shelter would be on there. Ooh, a steal. I like that. There's some big one I'm not thinking of, of Michael Shannon. <laughs> but, um, you sure about that? I don't know. Mud. So, mud. All right. Here we go here. Man of Steel, not yeah. on the top four. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Dumb. <laughs> Batman versus Superman, not on the top four. Okay. Mud, 
Not on the top four. Shape of Water is there. Let's point to Brad. Right. Take Shelter is there. So that's a point to both of you guys. Right. Midnight Special is there. Yeah. Point to Brad. And Nocturnal Animals is there. Oh, all right. Point to Aaron. So, Brad, you had three of them. Aaron, you had two. So that point goes to, to Brad. But collectively, we got them all. Collectively, you guys did get them all. Yeah, <laughs> which is pretty with, uh, with the with the most unlikely picks too. Right. <laughs> so. uh, also, debuting in January, the commuter, and from that one, I chose Vera Farmiga. I guess in this case, Brad, you could just name four. We wouldn't have to go back and forth. I'm gonna say Up in the Air, The Conjuring, The Conjuring Two. And The Departed. And Departed. Aaron? Yeah, I don't really have much to stray from that. I think that's a solid set of movies that you would guess for an IMDb page. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe maybe Running Scared, but I doubt it. Did you want me to write Running Scared down? No. Okay. (laughs) I'm sticking with the same four. You're sticking with the same four. Okay, all right. Well, unfortunately, you guys are going to be at a draw here because Up in the Air is on there. The Departed is on there. Orphan is on there. Yeah. Uh, and the TV show Bates Motel is on there. Oh, all right. so uh, yeah. Either that's Conjuring, right. but Orphan makes it over both Conjuring movies. I mean, I don't. Uh, IMDb I, has a funny way of doing oh. it. Right. So I'm gonna give you guys a draw on that one. Uh, Paddington Two is also released. Hugh Grant. Brad. Uh, I'm going to say Notting Hill, Love Actually, um, Four Weddings and a Funeral, and About a Boy. Okay. And Aaron? I would say Love Actually and Four Weddings for sure. Notting Hill's probably on there. Um... Are you adding Hill to your list? No, I'll mix it up. Let's see. Um, why not? Florence Foster Jenkins. Let's go with that. Oh, and you might be pleasantly surprised there. We'll see. And um, Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. Wow. I like that you changed it up. Unfortunately, Brad got all four of them. Yeah, okay. Oh, <laughs> holy shit. And so Florence, I was trying to make you feel better with the Florence frustration, which he is good in, by the way. So that was that. Uh, and lastly, Proud Mary was also in January, so I chose Tarashi P. Henson. Uh, Brad. Uh, Hustle and Flow, Hidden Figures, um, Empire and Person of Interest. Hmm, okay. And Aaron? First off, I'll say The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. You know why? <laughs> why? <laughs> because as they were getting older, <laughs> he was getting younger. Should, I, I knew that was coming. I had to play along. <laughs> Um, so that, Hustle and Flow, Hidden Figures, and, yeah, I guess Empire probably makes the most sense. Or that one with Idris Elba. 
Okay. Yeah, I thought about that too. A, a good deed is that what that was okay, called? Is that what it, no good. No deed. good deed. No good, yeah, no no good, good deed. deed. Yeah. yeah. The great news is that Hustle Flow is on there. Both you guys got. Hidden Figures is also on there. Both you guys got. The Karate Kid is one that you guys didn't. Ah, uh, uh, shit. And lastly, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Aaron, you get that one. <laughs> wow, guys... that's actually on there. Yeah. So. Crazy. Oscar nomination. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. She plays uh, Queenie? Queen? So. Queenie, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me see here. The other part of the game was, in terms of uh, box office mojo style, right now Brad is in the lead, but we won't do too many. These are January releases from 2017. If I'm going to also choose an actor from here, but if you guys did... Think what you uh, name me what you think is the top grossing movie of that actor Um, from last year from 2017. Yep, yep, exactly from 2017. Here we go. Split was uh, on the list. James McAvoy, Uh, Aaron. What do you think is James McAvoy's top grossing movie according to IMDb, including cameos? Is inflation adjusted or domestic? Adjusted. This is just domestic. uh, Domestic. Uh, Nick, what do you say, McAvoy? James McAvoy. Days of Future Past. Okay. And Brad. Oh, shit. Um, it's a good pick. Uh, I'll just say X-Men First Class. X-Men First Class. The great news is you guys have a lot of X-Men movies to pick from. Number one on his list is The Chronicles of Narnia, <laughs> the uh, Wardrobe, damn it. in which he plays Mr. Tumnus. Uh, yeah, fucking Mr. Tumnus. <laughs> of course. And Go that man. movie, apparently, again, this is not adjusted for inflation, so that no, movie like, went bonkers. is $291 yeah, million. Dollars. I, for, I forget about that. Days of Future Past, though, second place, $233 million. First class, fourth place, 146 oh. Apocalypse, Apocalypse was above it. Yeah. 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 Uh, let me see here. The, the next movie was Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, January 2017. Tony Collette. Who's it on? Uh, Aaron. Six cents. Six cents. All right. And uh, Brad? Well, of course that's going to be number one. I mean... Are you sure it's uh, not going to be Tammy? <laughs> um... Uh, I'll just say Little Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine. Of course, it is The Sixth Sense. All right. You got uh, a number? <laughs> yep, Sixth Sense was uh, like made 293. Right? Yeah, her, next, her next uh, movie was Tammy, which was $84 million. Wow, you weren't joking. No, it was not. <laughs> but, you know, people seem to love that Melissa McCarthy summer movie matchup. Uh, last one here. Monster Trucks opened in January 2017. <laughs> Dennis Quaid. Huh. Who apparently, apparently he plays uh, a guy in Monster Trucks, which I never saw. Wait, who's Dennis Quaid in Monster Trucks? Hold on. <laughs> okay, I'm waiting. As as Anna and I saw Monster Trucks, I remember Dennis Quaid. Wait, maybe maybe I chose the wrong movie here. Are we? Hang on. Looking it up. They did famously reshoot Monster Trucks, but I'm trying to... I can't think of Dennis Quaid in Monster Trucks at all. Oh, wait. Maybe it wasn't on there. What What did I choose Dennis Quaid for? A dog's purpose? A, it, it's probably a dog's purpose. Yeah. A dog's purpose. Dennis Quaid. 
By the way, Doc's Purpose, second highest grossing movie in January 2017. Yeah, maybe it's funny. Death Uh, Fred. Uh, um, I'm gonna say... Oh, wait, is it... Oh, there's two movies it could be now. Just thought of one. <laughs> I always, I, I think the day after tomorrow. That's the one he's in, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'll say that. Okay. If he says that, then I guess I'll say um, GI Joe: Rise of Cobra. Ooh, you guys did get one and two. Brad, you did get that one. It is the day after tomorrow. 186 million. GI Joe: Rise of Cobra. Which I'm glad that you remembered, Aaron, because I didn't that's remember a, that he was yeah. in it. That's the one I remembered. Million. Yeah. 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 What is it? 150 million. All right. His his number three is Traffic. 124 million. Okay. You know, I would not I would not have guessed that. Traffic. <laughs> yeah, I would not have guessed that as his number three. Um, I didn't know he was it. I never. I've never seen Dave tomorrow. I would have gotten this question wrong. So, uh, with that though, Brad, you have the most number of points after all single digit uh, point totals. So you are the winner of this week's games. Hooray! <laughs> Good job. Go. I'm the winner. <laughs> Of so long in January, Backhouse Mojo and IBB. Great. Well, thanks for that game. Man. You're welcome. Let's start wrapping things up here. Let's do a little out now. Presents out now. Presents what's out now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu-ray or DVD this week. First up, Only the Brave, which I heard a lot of really good things about. What's that one about? That's the firefighter one with oh, yeah, Josh okay, Brolin okay, and gotcha. Miles Teller and Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Uh, I want to catch up with that one at some point because I've, I've, I mean, it was on friend of the show Scott Mendelson's top ten list. I've heard a lot of good things about that one overall. So. Hmm. Uh, next up, not good at all, Suburbicon. No, uh, not good. <laughs> this is this is a terrible Do movie. Do not watch that movie. <laughs> oh. uh, let's see, LBJ. This is the Rob Reiner, Lyndon May Johnson biopic with Woody Harrelson, which I also did not hear. That one either. was released to HBO, right? No, in theaters. Oh, did it? Okay. It came out. It came oh, out. Oh, I'm, think, I'm thinking of the uh, Brian Cranston. The Brian Cranston one. Yeah. No, this one came out the same weekend as Lady Bird, which made it hilarious. <laughs> Perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, next up, A Bad Mom's Christmas. Heard that it was terrible. I wasn't a fan of the first Bad Mom, so yeah, I wasn't really looking forward to catching up with this one, and I didn't. Uh, next was uh, Victor Crowley of the Hatchet series. It's the fourth entry. Yep. You're a fan of that series. Here you go. Um, All I See Is You. I believe this is Blake Lively as like a blind person who stops being blind. Okay, yeah. Medical, one of those movies. Advances. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see, 24 Hours to Live. This is an Ethan Hawke thriller where I believe he probably has somewhere between 23 and 25 hours to live. Uh, I think the average of that would be 24. So. Probably, yeah. So, okay. um, Tom of Finland. This is one of the Oscar nominees for Best Foreign Language Film. Okay. Um, from the Warner DC Animated Universe, Batman colon Gotham by Gaslight. This is the... Um, it's like... A, it's, a, it's like... Um, uh, uh, Jack the Ripper. Batman's ba- like back in time going against Jack the Ripper. Hmm, okay. Like a new kind of perspective on it. Uh, kind of like an, an alternate universe type Batman story. Uh, which I've heard good things so far for as far as the people that watch the uh, the animated DC movies. Uh, let's see. Homeland Season 6. Is that, mo- is that show still good? I did not complete Season 6. My dad and I watched the Homeland Seasons okay. and that's like we haven't finished that one yet. Um Jen, I've heard that season six is a bit more because it goes to New York. Okay. Uh, and it's I heard it kind of gets things back in order a bit, but I've also heard some other mixed things about where it goes, so I'm not entirely sure. I it, haven't I haven't kept up with that since like I think season two. 
itself. Yeah, the show, the show itself after season two, even three, I think, has a lot of good stuff in it. I think it's been kind of wobbly since then. But yeah. uh, I'll be curious to see where this one goes. I believe the next season is the final season, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, okay. Uh, next up, Taboo, season one. This is the Tom Hardy show that he created with his father, Chips Hardy. Um, I Excellent re- I, name, by the way. My dad and I watched this one. It's re- I really liked it. It's really moody and atmospheric. It's set in like... Um, what, like it's 1800s um, England. I believe it's England. Yeah, because England is there where things are headed next time. Um, but it's really neat. It's like Tom Hardy just plays this this guy who got kind of lost adrift and became this sort of like an expert at everything as far as like languages and <laughs> culture and whatnot. But he's like, he's Tom Hardy. So he's not like Sherlock Holmes. He's just like this big brooding Tom Hardy guy who's like, <laughs> and he's trying to like, he has a claim to like his his father like his like his father dies at the beginning of the series and so he has like this claim to a giant fortune but all these like rich aristocrats like Jonathan Price is like the lead of them he wants to like you know take all the money away from this guy and everything and so it's just kind of this battle of wits between them as well as like assassination attempts and all kinds of stuff but like it's Tom Hardy in this show and so it's like an actor of his caliber being in this like crazy FX series it's just it's really well performed and it's a great looking show I believe it was Stephen Stephen Knight um, of who wrote like uh, Easter Promises and um, he directed what uh, Lock with Tom Hardy. Actually, he directed like I think every episode of this. It's like maybe ten episodes or something like that. Um, and I know like a season two is in the works. So mm, okay. no, it was, it was, it was a neat show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next up, Sandlot, the 25th anniversary edition. Yeah, go see it. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, let's see, Day of the Dead Bloodline. It is the second remake or third remake of Day of the Dead. Um, so there you go. Uh, and lastly, on Criterion, Elevator to the Gallows. If you're a fan of Criterion, got a new one coming this week. Um, some cool stuff coming to Criterion in the coming weeks, by the way. Uh, some notable known entries that I will point out when that time comes. Hmm. Um, you, you know, you'll know what I mean Abe, when I say it because there are some very notable titles that are coming up in the coming on Criterion, right? Okay. On Criterion, yeah. Yep, Batman Returns, uh, got it. Yeah. Uh, next up is extremely cool. This is we list some of the things that are coming out on streaming this week. Um, first up on, on Prime, this came out a couple weeks ago, but I wanted to mention it because I really am a big fan of this movie. Wonderstruck is now on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Uh, I really like this movie. Um, I got to watch it again with Anna recently. It's still very, very good. Todd Under- Haynes, right? Sorry? Todd yeah, Todd, yeah, Todd Haynes film um, Haynes, from, the, from the writer of uh, Hugo. It's based on another one of his books, Brian Seltzer. Um, and his orchestra? Yeah, and his orchestra. Um, I'd also like to add that Cowboy Bebop is on Amazon Prime, and I was, like, geeking out over it. So oh. go see <laughs> Cowboy Bebop if you haven't. Apparently that was 20 years ago. That's crazy. <laughs> um, on Netflix, we have uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. <laughs> Still one of the best music biopics ever made, and I one that I certainly match up other films to, because if it can't outdo Walk Hard as far as hitting all the same tropes, then it's not doing it right. Hmm. Um Let's see, Altered Carbon is now on Netflix. This is the, the sci-fi series um, that stars uh, Joel Kinnaman, who you won't remember because from RoboCop, because that movie was fucking awful, but you will remember from other things. Um, Such as? Uh, that <laughs> Suicide Squad, which is the first. <laughs> I, was waiting, I was waiting to see what you would say. It's like, yeah, Suicide Squad's like the, the only the, thing that I know from. Uh, the Killing series and AMC. Yeah, yeah, His TV yeah. shows are, are more successful, yeah. Um, let's see, Fred Armisen, Stand Up for Drummers. Uh, that's a new, I guess, comedy special that Fred Arvison has. It's on Netflix this week. Uh-huh. And lastly, On Body and Soul, which is another one of the um, best foreign language film nominees. It's now okay. on Netflix. Yeah. 
Keep on a number of Oscar nominees on Netflix right now. Actually, there's a number of uh, I mean, some it's of the been a while, doc- so some of the, well, some of the short documentaries are now on Netflix. I think Heroin is the title of one of them, uh, which is I'm sure it's an upper. Um, yes. <laughs> all right, that was extremely cool. Let's move on to next week. Next week's show, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah I know we might have another uh, freeform. We'll see. I know um, we'll be seeing a 1517 to Paris, the Clint Eastwood film next week. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll figure out what we want to talk about in mm-hmm. full. Figure that out as we go along. I'm sure, we'll make some kind of announcement or something as we can. Um, but yeah, last thing we do here: what should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Brad, what should people see in theaters right now? I mean, you should go see all of the Best Picture nominees that are still playing in theaters. Uh, you should go see Shape of Water and The Post and Lady Bird and Three Billboards and. Phantom Thread, all those movies. Yeah, so there's lots of good things. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's so many good things in theaters right now. And a lot of them are stuff that were in limited release at the end of December and even some through early January that are finally getting a wide release. Um, so, yeah, make sure you check all of those movies out. Yeah, it's fun. We get this kind of like this dead period as far as reviewing new movies. That said, most of the world can now see all these other movies that are all extremely good and can be easily seen because they're in wide release now. So it works out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not for podcasts, of course. We have to we have to slum it. <laughs> Talk about the Sundance Film Festival, which is perfectly fine. I'm kidding. Uh, Brad, what do you plan to see next? Um, I mean, I really don't know. Like, there's nothing honestly that I'm super pumped about in the next week. But I've, uh, so it's, I mean, the next thing is probably Black Panther, which I am yeah, insanely pumped to see. Uh, it looks like it's going to be fantastic. Looks like uh, it'll be visually unlike any other Marvel movie we've seen. And I, I'm just really excited to see what they what they did with this one. Without going into thoughts on Black Panther, that last statement is true <laughs> as far as its visuals. Um, hey, how about you? Super echo what Brad said about seeing all the Academy Award nominees. Uh, or I'm sorry, Academy Award nominated films. Um, I cannot, you know, I, I would never tell you not to see any of them. Uh, some of them might not be for you, but it's still a pleasure to watch those as they're they're just so well made. Um, and then next, uh, because uh, because uh, Brendan Gleeson was so good with Paddington, I might have to check out uh, his son with Peter Rabbit. Although uh, I'm not a big fan of that James Corden voice, so we'll see. <laughs> um, I would certainly recommend the Oscar-nominated films as well. Also, Paddington Two, of course. Um, and I mean, when the shorts come to town, because that should be within the next month, I believe. I, I hope that people have a chance to see those as well, because that is it is neat to check those out. Um, I just want sure. to add that I'm not actually going to watch Peter Rabbit. Uh, okay, I am this week. <laughs> so, um, Let me know how it goes. <laughs> we'll see. But I also get to see Early Man this week. This is the new Ardman film um, that oh, I am quite okay. excited for, um, which comes out I believe the same week as Black Panther, actually. But yeah, the, the Early Man. That's that's. I, I'm a fan of Ardman Studios. Yeah, I like Ardman. Yeah. So. This is the newest one. I look forward to it. Hmm. And okay, so with that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode about now with Aaron Abe. You can find more of my work, my personal blog, the code is Zeke.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Find me on Instagram over. <laughs> find me on Instagram over at Oakley Doakley and Twitter.com slash Walrus Moose. Hashtag free Paddington. <laughs> uh, Brad Ohm, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, you can find me writing at SlashFilm.com pretty much every day. You can also check me out on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And you can listen to my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, F-L-I-X, available on iTunes and some other podcasting platforms. Great. 
You can find all the other episodes about Now With Their Name over on iTunes as well as on Audioboom. Let's send us over at HHWD, SoundCloud, and Podomatic. Feel free to email us any thoughts you may have had on Sundance or anything else we discussed today over at OutNowPodcast at gmail.com. Send us feedback, thoughts, requests, etc., love letters, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or twitter.com slash underscore podcast. And of course, visit the Tumblr page, outnowpodcast.tumblr.com to send Abe all kinds of gifts relating to the things that he's missing out on, such as more Paddington sequels or whatever. Or Xander Cage. Xander, yeah, Xander Cage, the skateboarding return. Across a, skateboarding across the bus. He returned. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, Brad, thank you very much. Thank for you, Brad. Hey, thanks for having me. For sure. And congratulations on winning games. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> right, I did it. And yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, so long and goodbye. What you say, Mary? Your mother's an alcoholic. That's so tragic. That's the reason that your life's so erratic. Never had the kids from the patch that grows the cabbage. Never had a pack of Sour Patch Kids. God damn it, got branded. Lie, lie. Got caught red-handed. Shoplifting. Mom's tripping. When a rent and gas bill, money come up missing. Her last current and next meal, she stay missing. Little hate and ambition fuels a goalless mission. An unheard of opinion, like some polis fly fishing. Persona polemical, bipolar individual. Real life non-fictional. Dabble in the chemical. But what's been the to the mental and the physical I don't know and neither does the false idol If I rip my jaw out and hand it to you What will you do? Throw it back at me or remove My golden wisdom tools. Prolific statements You my friend should be honored Found it near a herb garden reading a Shakespearean Sonnet drinking pomegranate green tea Eating whatchamacallits. I don't know and neither does The false idol First off I'll say The Curious Case of Benjamin Button You know why I <laughs> Why? <laughs> because as they were getting older, he was getting younger. Shit, I, I knew that was coming. I had to play a lot. <laughs>